Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number 43, which is a very interesting mashup. The 1954 film Gojira, Japanese film, renamed Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and recut as an American version. We are going to be discussing the original Japanese version directed by Ishiro Honda. And if you want to see it uh, in its original cut, uh, it's available on Criterion uh, Channel as well. But you should, or you should just seek out the original cut of this film, which is very different from the American version. And we discussed that as well. And what's interesting about this film is that we are juxtaposing it with the 1985 film Runaway Train, directed by Andrei Konchavlovsky. Sorry if, if I misspelled his or misspoke his name. Uh, I don't know much of his work except for this film, but it is starting John Voigt, Eric Roberts, and Rebecca Dormorne. And you may be wondering, how are these two films related? How is uh, Gojira and Runaway Train related? Well, believe it or not, they are related through Akira Kurosawa, amongst a few other things. It was a brilliant mashup by Eric Sheely. I think he did a really great job of thinking about these two films and how they are related. And it's really kind of cool. And it's a perfect idea for Martini Giant to talk about these films and how they work. Uh, hopefully the, you guys will enjoy it as much as we did talking about it. We had a couple of different ideas floating around. And then Eric uh, pulled a rabbit out of his hat and decided that he wanted to talk about something very different. Which... As we were talking about, I was like, this sounds the weirdest mashup ever. But, <laughs> I agree, but it's and awesome. Honestly, for me, it took a lot of energy to get to figure it out. I get it, but it, I literally had to sleep on it to say, oh, I get it. Right. Yeah, I get it. I don't know <laughs> what it means, but I just, when I saw both, I just was like, I felt they're really a connected films. And then I, you know, knowing that Kurosawa wrote this in the sixties, he was really right. still somebody, a child of war and, yeah, right. and they all were. And so that was their way of their take on the war. But I found the endings so hauntingly dissimilar and the yeah, music right. beats were so similar. Like the last yeah. act, third act was like, Holy well, hey, let's, let's tell everybody what we're talking well, about. Before we, before we go and talk, and we not even mention what movie we're talking mm -hmm. about and jump right into the end of the movie, mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about what these two movies are. The first movie is the very original Godzilla from 1954. Yep. Black and white. Right? Uh, directed by Black Shiro and white Hama. Godzilla, 1954, which I, had, uh, I hadn't actually seen. Well, no, I had seen it. But I was really little when I saw it, so it didn't make any sense. Like, it was all just like, ooh, cool, monsters, you know? So I hadn't actually seen it ag again as an adult mm -hmm. for a long time. And now this, this um, movie was, um, the director of this movie, Shuro Honda, right, was mm -hmm. the assistant director for many, many, many years to another filmmaker. And that, that filmmaker is the story writer of our second feature. No. Oh, so he was assistant director to Kurosawa? Was he really? Was. Yes. Oh, yeah. I never wow. even knew that. And ran Kagamusha and uh, Dreams. And they, they, I guess they were friends for Guys, a long time. I, I never even knew that. Way, way, way back. Okay. So there is so a direct the se Weird. The second film we're talking about is Runaway Train, which I, the last time I saw Runaway Train was in theaters yeah. in 1988. Eight. What? That was the same Eight. with me. Yep. Right. So 
That was the last time I saw Runaway Train, uh, starring uh, John Voight. Eric Roberts. And, and Rebecca DeMornay. And uh, Re- Becky DeMornay. Yep. Oh, I, and and I'll be honest, I originally saw this movie because Danny I had a Trail. Crush on Rebecca DeMornay. And Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo yes. is in it too. Danny yes, you're right. A Trejo. <laughs> he he's in the i was like oh shit he's the because oh, i i it's hard to catch that he was the guy that uh, uh eric roberts was um, fighting. uh uh fighting yeah right? that's right and uh yeah i actually spotted him from a distance in the window of the jail uh and i was like is that treo yeah and then lo and behold it turned out to be treo i was very very pleased yeah so there is no direct connection so, between akira kurosaka and, and uh, danny treo but it's nice to know that it gets at least this close <laughs> yes so this movie, uh, Runaway Train, in 1988, mm-hmm. was based off a story by Kurosawa that was written in the 60s. I think it was a script. Yeah. A script. And I he believe couldn't. he wrote a script. Yeah, he, they didn't do the script directly. I believe they uh, yeah. they had it rewritten for this movie. Um, but yeah, they took but the he basic wrote a story. script, and then he. So I'm curious what the original script is, and and based on the uh, assumptions that Eric made, how. Cl- you know how much closer it would have been to Godzilla. Now, they, they it, Runaway Train's a, actually a pretty good movie. Even watching it oh, again, yeah. I was like, it's yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, and it's a you know it's a very it's a very Eric type movie in the sense that it's got a lot of heist type feelings to That's it, true. and you know that and that kind of focus, 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 focus on these characters. And John Voight does a uh, little bit of hammy stuff with his accent. It's a little. The, I would and say that teeth. this movie is an Easter dinner of ham smorgasbord, but it is also a really good movie. <laughs> There's some really good mm-hmm. scenes in it. There's some oh, really man, good oh, man. There's yeah. some beautiful shots, yeah. and then the music is really good, and then it gets super 80s cheesy. Yeah. Trevor Horn. But then gets good again. So which... Who is this? Trevor Horn. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Trevor Horn's And I saw him once. He was in the Buggles. Video killed the radio. Sorry, that was his that's right. band. Oh, right. And um, he, I, I saw him once uh, in concert. He, Yeah, he, he's a big composer, though, and particularly from that era. But it was a little bit like Vangelis meets like a new Roland synth, you know? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, that's right. it's cool, but it's, uh, you know, it was very 80s, yeah, kind of like... But he also cool. did the music too. I'm looking it up right now. I don't have, know this off the top of my head, but he did uh, Last of the Mohicans, which is a great score. Last, Mo- Last yeah, Mohicans. He's done a lot and produced a lot. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah he's we, great, great I don't, I, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, a, a big portion of the audience, if they haven't seen Godzilla, uh, know something about Godzilla. Uh, I don't know how many people have actually, that, you know, that may listen to this podcast may actually know anything about Runaway Train. That's true. I, I did. It was really interesting to see it again because, I mean, God, I was 17, I guess, when I saw that movie. Uh, and it was really kind of cool to see it again because I was like, I, I remember it vividly. There was some very uh, important scenes in there and it was kind of interesting to revisit that and see that again. But then... The story was very, uh, very different. Um, like, for example, uh, when I was a, uh, uh, what I remembered from when I saw it a long time ago was the train portion was much, much longer. It was like, you know, they pretty much got on a train right from the beginning. Yeah, it but wasn't. Yeah. It. Same way. Same with me. Yeah. 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 I thought they're like, oh, no, they're right on the train and most of it's on the train. It's not. It's like the, there's a big portion that yeah, happens. The, the opening the act is in the jail. 
and the and it's all yeah the whole it's stack is all in a jail right. yeah that's right was it in LA because it looked like yeah yeah it's interesting they break out of the LA jail, jail and then suddenly they're I think on a glacier <laughs> it looked like Alcatraz to me no it was the, it was a map painting of a jail but it seemed like it was all those clothing around San Pedro there's all those warehouses. And they just yes. decorated interiors to do that. Look like a jail. Yeah, I think that's the, true. The, the jail itself, like the, the the shots of all the cells and the, the you know all the levels and stuff, that looked like Alcatraz. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, How I, I thought that because every shot well. I've ever seen of Alcatraz, it looks like that. Yeah, yeah. it looked like the a, a, you know a shot from The Rock. Yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you know? I agree. I'm not sure if it was Alcatraz. I had the same thought when I was watching it. I'm not sure if they. Uh, it seemed like to me like there. L.A. But. But yeah, no, I, I think that there's a, I think there's some some strange sort of disconnects in the environments uh, between the jail and when they get outside. Like once they get outside, it turns into a really different epic kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And uh, and for my money, it turns into a, like it's better. It nears greatness many, many, many times. Like there's some well, amazing the stuff in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It had an editorial pacing of The Fugitive, which came out like four years oh, later. Oh, totally. Yeah, I agree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But let's, 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 uh, let's get a little breakdown before people do. So let's talk about Godzilla, although <coughs> honestly, I don't think many people need Godzilla doesn't need a huge breakdown because I think a lot of people kind of have a general understanding about it. But you know, it was interesting to see it again as an adult. And to sort of resonate back all the things that are in Godzilla that are so important because it is an important film. Uh, and uh, it, it has, it had been seen for years and even in all of its uh, forms of remake as some campy film. Right. Right. I think this uh, is the only serious it, Godzilla for many, many, many years. Like that's, I think there's that it opens up with a, a very serious treatment and then, Shortly after that, gets very silly, and it stays silly pretty much up until relatively recently. Like it turns into right. a, essentially a wrestling fight with monster suits, and you know the kaiju battle stuff uh, all comes from this. Right. Obviously, that's when the branding uh, folks got the, involved. Uh, uh, sorry, I got my phone ringing. Um, but the uh, uh, but the, this initial one is black and white and very much a grim, actual horror film. Yes, and basically, uh, it is a. Uh, uh, very very straightforward story uh in some ways uh just so there's japanese island uh there's a uh, a threat that's happening uh radiation appears mm -hmm. uh and there that is a big part of this story and this is you know in japan fresh off of the atomic bomb falling in japan so japanese are very very sensitive to that so this is a you know, Japan, you know, the atomic bomb fell and it opened up the crack in the earth and these monsters came out. <laughs> Pretty, you guys, and this is the, I mean, like now it seems campy, but if you think about what that meant back then when an atomic bomb actually did hit Japan, right? That is a, that is, that is a metaphor for, for, for evil, right? It also, uh, I think, and, it deals with, particularly with the fishing boats and incident in the early 50s. Right. Yeah, the um, right. Uh, yeah, what was it? The the, dra Radioactive the, the lucky fish. dragon. Um, yep, lucky the, uh, fishing boat dragon number five. Lucky dragon five. What's lucky dragon number five? That's a, it's a fishing boat um, fishing. that uh, caught a bunch of radiation off of an atomic By a bikini bomb atoll. Test. Yeah, and uh, all the uh, all the fishermen on board got uh, extreme radiation. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and so the opening of the movie uh, like lets you know that Talks they are making very very direct 
um, associations. Like it's barely even a metaphor. It's like it's very very straightforward in what it's what it's talking about. I mean, that um, ha- incident happened right. in like '53. Yeah, 52. it's really right. fresh, right? Yeah. And like, what's so, really interesting though is that, uh, like, I think anyone who watches this movie, like, they're going to pick up on it, like, and like, even uh, you know, d- decades and decades later, you're going to pick up on the association between uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Nagasaki and um, and uh, and the you know this, the horror that they went through. Uh, in this movie, but what's mm-hmm. really interesting is that um, for like as as terrifying as those events were, um, the Japanese this is a big hit when it came out, and this is 1954, so that's I think 54, somewhere around there. Anyway, the um, uh, 54, 55, yeah, 54, yeah. and uh, and so this is uh, like that is just about what nine years. Um, after yeah. the bombs went off, and mm-hmm. and they're and they're processing it very literally in their art, in a way that I can't imagine um, anyone else, any other country having done. Like it's really because like mm. like you know like people after nine eleven like people were not you know like nine eleven did come out through our artwork for sure and like and ended up for me I think it ended up like uh, creating essentially the superhero franchise dominance that we have uh right now that's what that's our interesting. that's that's our response that's our response but it's a very that's a very uh like our response to that was unconscious you know um and when we were actually confronted with real 9-11 movies you know uh the nicholas cage one or uh, united 93 or any of that stuff like they did not make any money no one wanted to go see them it was offensive that they got made you know, and when other movies came close to being 9-11-y, like they were really shredded for using 9-11-ish imagery. But instead, when mm. the Japanese, after these horrific bombings, like they accepted this as a way to process what they were and talk about what they went through. And the movie's really very uh, honest about it. Like the way that it's not just Godzilla's right. a great big scary monster. It's like, as you brought up, Chris, it's like there's radiation sickness from his attacks People are dying who are unrelated um, to having, right. you know, and uh, and they also associate it uh, stylistically uh, within within the movie with other forms of national uh, shock, like uh, typhoons and earthquakes, and so right. uh, instead of being natural disasters, natural disasters, yeah. so they they look at. I, I think it's really. Uh, it's a sort of beautiful reaction because like it could have been a movie that was like the Americans are evil and this is the evil the Americans brought to us. But instead they look at um, that, um, you know, that the, the, the tragedy and trauma of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, are essentially a natural disaster. The natural disaster is man itself, yep. you know, like, Right. And uh, and we have to look at that honestly. So it's not a, it's not a blamey movie. It's a look at what we've allowed to uh, happen, and now we are paying the price for it. Uh, and not from the Japanese like Japanese are to blame. No, it's not. They're not even looking at it from anyone's to blame. They're just saying like this is in humanity. Like this self destructiveness. This is humanity. Is yeah. in humanity. This, is, this is the future of our humanity. Right. Is that? And it's we still, have to confront it. It's interesting. Like when. I was, uh, my wife, some of you don't know, is, is Japanese. 
And mm-hmm. uh, we were last in Japan, and somebody was giving us a, a tour of uh, a print museum. And between the galleries, uh, we were walking, and he referenced something in the print museum, and it goes back to World War II. And then he just turned to me, he's like, that was most unfortunate. Uh, right. And something about, I'm sorry. And it was a very, un- that was most unfortunate incident, I'm sorry. And right. it was like, wow. I mean, this guy was like 40. So he wasn't right. even alive then, but it's right. still this national, I don't know if it's shame, but there's a, it's definitely, it live, it's in their consciousness. Yeah, well, and I think that like it's like they are like uh, and you know I, I'm only speaking extremely broadly. I'm not speaking for anyone in particular, but I really think that uh, like America's point of view on World War II were so dedicated to this like you know heroic ideal of World War II that trying to say you know maybe dropping atomic bombs on innocent people is a bad idea. Like that's not something you could say, you know, for many 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 years. Certainly not in the uh, in the fifties, no. um, and uh, and uh, what's interesting is the you know, J- the Japanese make this very you know like it's a, it's a, it's a horror movie and it's made to make money and be you know like a a pop culture art event. But it's like they make this movie which is you know pretty on point um, about like the madness of war and the impact of this out of control power uh, that mankind has released. Uh, they're pretty grown up about how they treat it. And the movie is such a hit that America uh, decides to buy the distribution rights uh, to put it out in America. Like uh, uh, they put it out in America. And they, when they have do you seen that, the second one with Raymond Burr? Uh, with the yeah the the American release is the one that most people are probably familiar with. And so if they watch yeah, the horrible. if they watch this on the Criterion Channel, they're going to see it with with all Japanese cast, all Japanese actors. Um, uh, but if you you are probably more familiar with the um, the American release, which has an entirely new character who's an American, played by Raymond Burr, uh, who is there to uh, report on this great tragedy that's happening. And this is what I this is the Godzilla that I knew for many many years. And I and once I uh, like the, even even before I saw the 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 real the, the real cut of Godzilla, I was really puzzled by this. Like this is a movie that has been recut to add an American point of view in it. To make it more mm-hmm. relatable to Americans, right? So because Americans, um, you know, they want to have a, a touchstone to understand what's happening in the movie. But the point of view the movie offers is this sort of like, my God, what happened to these poor people, right? And I'm like, uh, we dropped an atomic bomb on them. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I was like, right. it's so bizarrely disconnected um, in the American consciousness. Uh, that uh, that we were well, we don't want to. Pr- we we don't want to. Pr- yeah, we do not want to accept the fact that maybe we have made bad choices in our right. lives right. as a nation. Right, and I mean, I'll, that's I'm, impossible. I I don't want to down. I mean, World War Two is obviously like that was a there's a a, a good idea war. If there there's a lot of bad one. things that yeah, happened in World a, War Two. Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff that happened. Um, on all sides, yeah, and both uh, sides, yeah, exactly. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, like it's a good idea to stop the Nazis. It's a good idea to uh, end the war as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, it's interesting the difference between our culture in terms of like the way that we package that, those memories versus the way that um, those kinds of memories, including nine eleven and everything else, 
um, versus the way that uh, propaganda, uh, say the Japanese do in popular culture. Well, we should also note, we should also note that we all watched uh, Godzilla on Criterion, yeah. which has the original Japanese cut. Yeah. Uh, so Criterion channel, if you guys are subscribers, uh, is, is available there. Also, uh, just a side note, uh, uh, Runaway Train, which we'll talk about shortly, or maybe not so shortly, uh, <laughs> uh, is available on uh, Amazon Prime uh, yep. as well. So that is also something to think about. So the big, the big thing, obviously, I mean, the thing is, Japan. It, it has a very typical Japanese um, acting and directing style yes. with a lot of very emotional, theatrical things yeah, it's, going it's on in terms time. of the, yeah. their performances. Yeah, typical for the right. filmmaking of the period. Yeah. Right, uh, but if you the 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 narrative is good. Yeah, like the script is good. Yep, and I was like, this is. A, a really good serious film because like I said it's like I hadn't seen it in so long I'm like it's always been seen so campy and I know everyone tells me it's much, much more caption, but it's actually it's sorry go ahead capturing the feeling of of the people the common people the villagers the people who live oh, yeah. was astonishing like it yep. really yeah. captured like an emotional um, uh, a beat of like what it was like to be uh, it really is a beautiful film. especially them because they're like we have this is our livelihood and it's being destroyed right. and we don't know what to do yeah. you know like it was like uh, it was very very touching it was very very touching yeah, all, the, way, all the terror uh, and pain that's caused is real terror and pain that's the way it's represented like it's not meant did as you guys ever stop like, to realize um, well I know maybe you did but and in Runaway Train, you had two men and a woman. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And and yeah. I, 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 we're going we'll to get there. We're going to get there. You're point. already jumping to the end of the of the whole podcast. Thank you for joining us tonight, guys. We're going to get there. We're going to. Yeah. So so anyway, uh, one of, there's a couple people that it get introduced. So obviously, as we we go through the story, there are. Uh, several people that get introduced that are important part in Godzilla. Uh, one is uh, the young guy. What's his role? The young, the young he hero. Is, character? He is a sailor, or he work, He has a ship. He has like a merchant right, ship. Yeah, the initial, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, the right. and then there is the it's her her fiance. So, so he's, and yes. Yeah, so, and then there's the girl, and then the girl's dad is a scientist, yeah. right? And then, and the, he, he, his thing is like, we have to study Godzilla. His thing is obviously the, the science point of view, uh, which you can look at in multiple ways. You can look at it in, in the, uh, don't kill it scenario, or you can look at it in the, uh, alien way of, we have to bring it home and, and study it. Right. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so you can look at that 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 point of view of scientist as evil or not evil. I love but, that that uh, trope just it just stays with us. It's just like we we are so don't right. trust science. You know, just like no, it leads to badness. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. No. Like it, so. So if there's something bad that kills things, mm -hmm. like do you study it or not study it, or do you just fight it and kill it? Right. And and there's. Or maybe it's misunderstood, you know, right. like all those types of things, right? Yeah. So all that narrative happens, but he comes from that point of view. And then 
There's another scientist that appears who's got an eye patch, and so therefore evil. <laughs> of course. He's got an eye patch. <laughs> right. Uh, although he's not. Uh, and uh, in this particular thing, you know, uh, by the way, at this, uh, uh, Godzilla is about to be very, very destructive. I got to say, looking back, you know, I know those are campy effects, but looking back, they're not terrible. No, they're, they're actually pretty, pretty cool. Like, especially for the time. But I mean, I really, I think that what makes them work is the, it's the filmmaking itself. Like they're focused on cool making angle, scary right? scenes. <clears throat> The cool know. angles with the wires cutting yeah. across your face in yeah. front of them. Really, yeah. Like Godzilla the, himself. In the water and the planes are coming yeah, at yeah. him and he's up to the waist and he's backlit and yeah, he looks great. like it's a beautiful. model, but it's so cool. It's like a painting. I was like, God, yeah. that's so cool. Like these, these are really, really the, well the depth, constructed the depth of, directed scenes, you know, like the, and that's why The they depth work. of field yeah. is, is a little bit too much, obviously, because it's all miniature. Sure. Um, and the water looks wonky because it's miniature, CG right? It doesn't have any. <laughs> but, as as, uh, it's amazing. The, 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 All rendered real time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was rendered in real time. That's for sure. Uh, but there were so many miniatures that were built. If you look at all those shots and all that destruction and stuff, they were pretty astounding. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. You know? Really nice music. Yeah. I mean, music. just, Mops. no, don't want to, uh, this is terrible, but way better than uh, than in Power Rangers. Let's just put it down. Yeah, like there's a certain right? like there's a, there's a level. Of, and this is long, long, long before Power Rangers, no, yeah. but like, like way quality way better. filmmaking is the greatest buy-in you can have to VFX. Yep. Like that's mm -hmm. just the way it goes. Like you can you can have wonky bits to your VFX stuff so you can't afford to do well or like scale problems, whatever it right. is. But if you make people buy into the sequence, they forget and forgive any of the technical that's right. problems. And this is that's like called number the, one. Uh, like uh, that's called the Sinbad uh, effect. <laughs> that's right. right? The Harry right. Harry housing it. <laughs> it's called the Harry housing effect. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's absolutely it. true. It's still so cool. Uh, we talked about it so, a million times so in the anyway. podcast. It's just sort of like if you like when people are picking relentlessly on CG, it almost always means that the movie itself was bad. <laughs> yeah. You're picking on, yeah. Like, you don't exactly. know how to express that the like movie District was bad. Nine, so District 9 had a lot of flaws in the CG, but the story was great. Exactly. So Stealth had great CG, and the story was good. Yeah. And the story was yeah. brilliant. No. It was brilliant. We all loved Stealth. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, Jimmy Fox is in my Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, the, the effects the effects in uh, Jurassic World were mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, absolutely true. But people say it was bad because if it was all CG. It's like, I think you... you, you you've, Freaking are an idiot because yeah, if the if the filmmaking were great, Jurassic Park was, great. was a better film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a better film. Anyway, I uh, don't want to get back into that because that's an old old argument. Uh, we're not not really an argument or it's, uh, it's something anyway. we love restating. We're slightly technically we based love podcast. restating over and over again. <laughs> so um, so anyway, the guy with the eye patch, um, he has discovered basically his. Hydrogen bomb, mm -hmm. but it's an oxygen bomb. The oxygen destroyer. <laughs> oxygen like. destroyer. That's, that's one of the great names. Um, and that is, he's like, I have invented the most evil thing known to mankind, mm -hmm. right? And he's like, I can't, I feel horrible. Like, it's basically, you know, the whole idea is like, if we Japanese people discovered something like this, 
what is our moral responsibility yes. to do. Yes. Yes. Right. And this is the really so, interesting part of this movie to me. Like this movie right. is uh, like, it's not trying to pin the blame on anybody. It's saying, of course, you know, we're scientists and we will discover things like this. But now that it's been discovered, right. what do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Right. So his, his, uh, he tells the girl about it and she keeps it a secret. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of people die because Godzilla destroyed, uh, everything. Uh, she says we there, I couldn't keep the secret anymore. I had to tell him. And the idea is, it is a very small amount of this, this, this device sucks up all the oxygen in water and then destroys all life around it. It's right. kind of like this. It's basically like an atomic bomb in water, but through oxygen. Now, some right? of your, the, the nitpickers out there might say, if you take all the oxygen out of water, you're just going to have hydrogen, which is explosive. And that's a terrible idea. But <laughs> right. it's still a beautiful, beautiful so, sequence. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of sketchy about how, to, how that's, yeah, how that's exactly. done. Uh, and, and the science behind it is definitely dodgy, <laughs> but the, the point is very well uh, 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 illustrated in a sense of like, if we have something that can pretty much destroy all life in water, mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, what do we do about it? So finally they convinced the guy to make a, a version of this that will, uh, destroy uh godzilla right? right and it's basically like a little capsule that he has to unload like a pill inside the water and it it has a chemical reaction that causes this whole thing mm -hmm. and that's what they decide they're going to do but uh, in order to protect this evil which is not godzilla but the bomb itself yes godzilla is not the evil anymore right. it's the bomb it's the bomb exactly right and that is the important part of this message. Yep. Uh, and he, uh, they, they go to the location and they find where Godzilla is based on their, uh, uh, their uh, Geiger counter. Mm -hmm. Geiger counters play a big part in this film, yep. <laughs> as true. I'm sure they did in most of Japan. And this at that was time. a time mm -hmm. in film where Geiger counters were non-union. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, Ge Geiger was union, but the counter was the not. Counter I, think was not yeah. I think that's the case. And that was the big lawsuit, Geiger counter lawsuit, California that's Superior right. Court in 1963. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he countered the lawsuit. The counter countered. I'm sorry to say that again, Mr. Counter. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's terrible. Yeah, uh, Karen, Karen said a really terrible joke today uh, at home, and Brady looked at us and said, uh, Great. Now I have two dads. Wow. <laughs> Holy dad my. jokes times two. Oh, no. <laughs> dad joke times two. That's, Great. The, that's, the, two that's the problem of quarantine, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Eventually um, it all comes down to the same things. She was trying to impress me with her bad joke, and I was I was totally impressed, but Brady was like, ugh. Do you remember the bad joke? I've got two dads. I don't remember the bad joke, but. You know, I have a bad joke for you if you can't remember it. I think I told you. Tell me your bad joke. This is my favorite bad joke. I've probably told it to you before. So, what is the difference between a well dressed man and a dog on a hot day? I 
Uh, I don't know. One wears a full suit, the other just pants. <laughs> See? <laughs> That's worth it. That's that good. That worth it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to film criticism. <laughs> uh, yep. Godzilla, 1954. What do, what, uh, <laughs> what do you call an Italian with a rubber toe? Oh, no. Roberto. <laughs> Roberto. Roberto. Oh, man. I want to apologize to my friend Roberto right now. <laughs> Sorry. Roberto. Uh, okay. Um, so what are we talking about? Okay. So uh, he's going to unleash this thing. So he hints, he says, the problem of, you know, something this evil will always exist. Even if I destroy everything, it's still in my head is what he says. Right. Right. So we got to destroy, but he destroys all, he burns all the papers. He burns all the papers that he has, all the evidence and all the research he did that created this oxygen destroyer. But like the T-1000, the chip is still in his brain. The chip is still in his brain. Yes, exactly. This is a theme, right? In Mm -hmm. 1954, right? So, so what happens is they go down into these big dumbbell water suits, which is hilarious. Classic. Classic. Right. And they dive down. Beautiful underwater shots, yep. by the way. Yep. Really interesting. By the Especially way, for the time you realize sequence, how challenging that must that be. That sequence yeah. is mimicked in the last Godzilla, if you've seen the last Godzilla. Oh, would that be the very last one? Yeah, the one they just recently came out last year. I have not seen I it. I went to the theater with my daughter to see it. And they have uh, a sequence. Would that be Shin mimicked. Godzilla? The latest one came out last fall, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because right, I was going to say, I don't remember. From Shin yeah, Godzilla. I didn't see it. But Did you yeah, see we should, I do want to talk about, have you guys seen Shin Godzilla? S-H-I-N Godzilla? No. Okay, we can talk about that at the end of the Godzilla part, but it's, it's definitely worth talking about. Okay. Um, so they go down, they hone in on Godzilla, and then uh, opens up the thing, but the, the man with the eye patch decides to stay behind to basically commit suicide. Very Japanese thing to do. Yeah, it's good. It's a good tragic right. ending for the, I mean, this is essentially, like I said, it's like, it's the Terminator 2 ending. It's the, uh, it's like, hey, there's it's, no way out, man. We got to take responsibility. It's got to happen. And so the film is not about Godzilla. It's about the bomb. Yeah, God, really. Godzilla is a, is a side effect of this terrible technology. Like Godzilla right. is just the, is the force Inside of nature era? that we've unleashed. Well, he's the proxy. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, he is the, he is the explosion. He's not the people who built the bomb, you know? And, uh, right. and the, like the, like the force of nature concept is something obviously, you know, Japan as an island is extremely familiar with. And I think that that's what gives them per, the perspective to make this movie, uh, you know, this kind of movie better than we have. And in fact, every time America has tried to make a Godzilla film, we've messed it up. Like we've made like three American Godzilla films and none of them are any good. And uh, I think it's because we don't know what it means. You know, we can't uh, successfully translate the metaphor or we're unwilling to um, well, let it mean what it should mean. We're not. And that so it just, um, yeah, well, yeah, well, it's just, it's too, I mean, like, I think that like as you know, as corny as Godzilla gets, you know, in the sixties and seventies and whatnot, but like the, the original intent of Godzilla is a, is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty serious movie. It's still, yeah. you know, for it's a summer monster movie, sure, but it's like, 
Like they're not screwing around. And uh, I think it's been a long time since we've really tried to do something as sort of uh, self-analyzing at its root as uh, as something like this is. You know, like well, like right. when, I, when I talk about like you know, this is a whole different podcast. But like when you look at the the Marvel films, you know, these are power fantasy films in which we are automatically the good guys and everything yep. gets justified, you know? And, uh, and I think that that's because we're unable to, uh, reason out why things have happened in the world, the way that they have, um, because right. we don't, we don't like facing it. And, uh, if you, if you do do that, you can even make a good movie out of a, you know, a puppet dinosaur movie, <laughs> which yeah. is what Godzilla is like at its base. And it turns into a really scary ass movie for, and really yeah. resonates. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, when you first started to watch both of these, you, you did have concerns. You're like, this is the stupidest pairing I've ever. You said that. <laughs> no, earlier. I did not say you that. Just, I absolutely no, did uh, not say that. You said it was bizarre. No, you didn't. I, just, I said, you're a stupid idiot. Yeah. I didn't say the pairing. <laughs> now you idiot. sound like my wife. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I did not. I thought, I thought they were as, I thought it was such a, stretch that it would be interesting to see how these things pair together. I thought about it if it was a stretch uh, after I suggested it because I just went by my gut. You know, but I think I think this is the great way to like as if you really start to think about it and if you're going to talk about it a move or two movies for 3 hours and try to find a connection between them. Uh yeah, I think we can get there. But if if I'm going to ask, and I'm talking about someone who's, who's, who's seen a lot of movies like myself, right? Mm-hmm. I'm watching these two movies, and even after I just finished watching the second one, which was uh, uh, Runaway, Train. Uh, 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 Runaway Train, I was like, how, how are these connected? And I really started thinking about it, and it wasn't until I woke up in the morning after sleeping on it that I was like, oh, my God, you're brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, I think you're right. They're they're they are totally connected. Um and just to clarify just with you guys, takes... I went by my gut. I don't know why they're connected, other than I felt like there was an emotional thread going through, particularly the third act. You're right. That I was like, God, they're the same damn thing. And then I researched, I was like, Kurosawa, that's right, Kurosawa wrote this. And so yep. then I was like, yeah. but I couldn't put my finger on it, but I felt they were really simple. John Voigt as standing on the top of the train at the end was yeah we'll, exact- we'll get to the get to the good meat of we'll mystery thank you it was yeah, a like good the, show guys <laughs> the, with, with Godzilla uh, like the now uh, Akira Kurosawa is friends with um, Honda who directed this movie Akira Kurosawa had had a big movie of his own come out this very same year uh, as Godzilla uh, which is uh, Seven Samurai which is one of his very best movies the famous one right. And uh, yeah. you know, we know these guys were friends, and apparently, uh, the one of Kurosawa's regrets was he always wanted to direct a Godzilla film. Wow! Like he really wanted. Like this, he's just like this is uh, this is you know this is better material than you know uh, that people think it is, and you can really make something out of this. And the first one is the best evidence of that. You know, but you know, so wasn't you, that like uh, Spielberg? Spielberg said he always wanted to direct a Star Wars. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, I th- and it's like I think that there's a certain. Like, it's interesting to bring that up because, like, I think that like so Spielberg, someone like Spielberg, is 
at his very best when he is not trying to make a statement. Like he ends up saying things that are very deep when he's not trying to say them out loud, right? And uh, right. and I think that that's a little bit true in, in how Honda attacks uh, filming Godzilla. Like it's a pretty po- it's like the, the the politics of the movie are are obviously yeah, as they're part of the 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 fabric of the movie. Um, but right. he doesn't let it get away from him. He's not there to make like some big political statement. Like he lets the movie be the movie itself, you know. Um, but I think that uh, there is definitely a uh, a, a would you, like you'd say that there's a like there, there feels like there's and it sounds corny to say it because I know it's a Godzilla movie it feels like there's a bigger force beneath the movie like there's an emotional reckoning happening uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that that Eric that concept is essentially your gut reaction to these two movies like yeah. there's something deeper going on that is representative of human the, nature s- and, of the, of and the, how exactly. we perceive Yes. Man and what man is capable of, and 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 what man does, and the guilt, and it's like very much like what I was telling you earlier. Most unfortunate. It's like wow, right? You know, it's uh, your head hangs in shame, and yeah. how man deals with stuff. I thought it was. Uh, it's. I, I watched it twice. I uh, both of them again, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's a really they're they're both beautiful films. And uh, I just, you know, the 60s kind of brought on the stuff that most people, like you're saying, remember Godzilla. But it's a really beautiful film, uh, the first one. The Raymond yeah, Burr one is agree. dopey. It's annoying. <laughs> yes. It, it's yes, it's unwatchable, dude. I tried to watch it, and I just turned it off. I was like, this guy's a moron. Well, it's like, it, I mean, where would people see that one? Uh, I think you can just rent that on Amazon. I think it's called yeah. the, the difference between the two is uh, Godzilla on, um, on uh, Criterion Channel is Gojira. G-O-J-I-R-A. Uh, and uh, the American release is called Godzilla uh, or Godzilla King of Monsters was the original release. Now, there is also another film called Godzilla King of Monsters, which is terrible, and, uh, which is the, other, the third American Godzilla movie. Uh, and, uh, and those don't work at all. Like, I, the 60s I, I barely... ones were goofy, but I did like the Mothra Girls. I'll be honest. I have a soft spot. Yeah, well, and I also I like the 60s movies. I grew up on those movies. I probably yeah. saw all that stuff way before. Uh, black and white Godzilla. Like I probably thought the black and white right. Godzilla was pretty boring, but uh, you know when it's like Godzilla versus the <laughs> smog monster, Godzilla versus Mothra, Mecha Godzilla, or what any of that stuff. Like I fell Once in love with the concept of Godzilla. Godzilla. What's up? By the way, the la- the baby Godzilla. The last time we were in in Tokyo, we went to the Godzilla store. It's so oh. awesome, dude! It was like all the Godzilla <laughs> products. I'll send you pictures I took of these vitrines, these walls of glass. All oh, these yeah. collectibles from the '60s of the Godzilla monsters. Wasn't there a oh. cheesy, cheesy Hanna Barbera cartoon with Godzilla in it? Yeah, there was. Uh, it was Godzilla and his and his uh, animated son yep. Godzuki. Yep. Uh, Godzuki. And you can also see Godzuki, I think, in um, Monst- Godzilla on Monster Island or Monster Island. I think that's right. Called. He's really and, goofy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty goofball. But like Godzilla yeah. tried, oh, as a series, but, tried to remain uh, like at least a little tiny bit political on occasion. You know, like Godzilla versus the Smog Monster is pretty overt. Um, but basically, by the by the seventies, it had it just fallen apart in the you know World Wrestling Federation. Did they garbage. ever do a Godzilla versus- <laughs> World Wrestling Federation? Did they ever do a Godzilla versus Evil Knievel? 
I don't think so. They should have, though, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I would have made more, more use of my, yeah. of my toys uh, for that fight. I, my, my pull, like the, I, yep. the evil can evil you pull the thing out of the back and it goes, Zzz! and you make him do stunts. And he did stunts as well as Evil Knievel did. <laughs> it was really amazing. Yep. But yeah, no, that was the uh, Godzilla grew up on well, all that stuff. Well, anyway, it was a good. It was a. It was a great. Uh, uh, it was a great film. And then it was interesting because I think we had talked about Runaway Train before. Yeah, we've been. Uh, and. We've 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 dropped that 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 title before. So uh, when you suggested it, I actually was like, "Great, I want to do Godzilla and I want to do Runaway Train." But I that was my response. You sent you sent me a text that you know like about a week ago, or whatever, when we were talking about this, and he says, "How about we do Godzilla and Runaway Train?" It's like, why combined? Though yeah. so each right. of this could deserve a podcast, but I don't understand the combination, and then. As I uh, and as you started to explain, it's like I think they're related, and I was like, "Well, that's going to be really interesting to see," and I and I was like really excited to see the the the, the idea behind that. So I watched it chronologically because I knew like you know one obviously had influence on the other. So well, let's start with the original and then go to the the remake called Runaway Train, uh, which was uh, also very interesting. Now we mentioned before. Um, Runaway Train is, and I think it says it in the credits, based on a screenplay by uh, Akira Kurosawa, yes. right? right. Um, and um, this is a late 80s film uh, starring very 80s actors like Eric Roberts and uh, Rebecca De Mornay and John Voight. Uh, John Voight. They're all, all of these actors are slightly overacting. Yes, slightly. Which is fine. <laughs> huh? Yeah. I think that they are afraid the train will crash because those actors will explode. They are they're pushing it right. so hard. <laughs> they're pushing it a little like hard. They, we're gonna have those uh, actors slam into a chemical factory. The world's gonna die. <laughs> right, uh, but it was still. Listen, it's not to distract. It's a, it's a pretty darn good movie. Uh, directed by uh, Rush. Yeah, a Russian director. Yeah. Director. Yeah. Right. Uh, who is also very interesting. Yeah, he also um, directed Tango and Cash. His name is uh, Andre oh, yeah. Konchalovsky. Uh, okay. There you go. I, I just looked that up, obviously. Um, but he's a Russian yeah. uh, theater director. And uh, right. and you can... like Most of the titles I saw on his INAB were all Russian titles. Yeah. yeah. And he's still going. He's still making stuff now. So uh, props to this dude. Uh, he did not uh, make very much in the, in the way of uh, American features. But uh, when this came out, uh, right. I think it under, underperformed when it came out, but uh, Roger Ebert was actually a giant proponent of this movie. He, I remember when he reviewed it. Uh, I did too. Was, That's why I went to see it. Yeah. He said it was like, this is one of the greatest action films I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, and I think yeah, that he was reacting that, to but... what I reacted to. It. And it's like, yeah, there's, the movie's got problems, but man, oh man, does it, like the stuff it gets right is really propulsive and feels very, oh, 100%. Yeah, like, really, really, really works. Very emotional. It's very, a great. Uh, it's a great action. If you really think about the action of the action moviness, right. like the out of controlness, which is what it's about, right. it's called Runaway Train for a reason, um, and and that's a thing, right? So, it's called this thing Runaway Train, and it starts off in a jail, 
So you know that there's going to be a train. <laughs> there will be a train. <laughs> right. Unless it's called runaway train in the same way that the film Brazil is called Brazil and has nothing to do with Brazil. <laughs> right. right. So it's called runaway train. It's not a metaphor. It's literally about a runaway train right. and it's on, you know, the poster kind of stuff. Right. So, but for a big portion of the beginning of the film, it all takes place in a jail mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a pretty interesting sort of idea there. So in the jail, basically what happens is you developed you develop three main characters in this jail. There are several characters, but three main characters in the jail. Uh, one is played by Eric Roberts, and he is the young uh, 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 jail uh, uh, or what do you call it? Prisoner inmate, yeah. uh, inmate. And he is uh, doing well, like he, he gets along with the prisoners and the guards, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to like him. They trust him. So he's doing laundry service. Yeah, he's a likable young stuff. talkative dude, you know, he's a really charming character. Right. right. And very, and, and, but also a tough guy, mm -hmm. right? Like you see him in a, in a, in a boxing he's scene like where Tony he's like. Tony Danza in Taxi. Yeah, it's like right. that if you went to prison he, for whatever you should have done. That's a great prison. way of putting it. Yeah. 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 Excellent way of putting it. Then the the uh, the the second character that you get introduced to is the uh, is John Voight, and John Voight is the hardened criminal that's been there for a while. And what you find out through Eric Roberts' character is that he has been, even though he's a bad and horrible criminal, he has been horribly mistreated by the jail system mm -hmm. inhumanely the warden in particular uh, and they the basically they him. welded him they well the warden hates him which is our third character and we'll get to the warden in a second mm -hmm. second but they welded him into solitary confinement for three years which is way too long yeah uh for most things right so uh, it ends up going to a big news agency. Right, the media finds uh, out of the, the welded him in the media cell. finds out about it, and then the, basically the warden is like forced to have to break him out of right. his solitary confinement. Uh, and the warden is hardcore. I j these are animals, and I just need to kill them. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, he is definitely. There is no question about the warden in terms of a character this is very 80s remember this is very 80s yeah. the warden is not someone that you flip your opinion about he is an asshole and a bad guy from beginning to end oh yeah he is relentless like, like, and he is for up until when he uh is actually in direct conflict with um john voight, uh, john voight uh he is completely in control of himself like he is right. like he is not uh, he's not a weak villain. He is absolutely confident in his total power over everybody. And he sees right. anybody flipping out as a weakness. And so like people flip out in his face and he just looks, you know, stares them down and he Lee, he Lee Van Cleefs it. You know, he absolutely um, terrifies people yeah, with his different. lack of response. And uh, he's right. a really it's a really this is my actually my favorite a bit of acting in the movie is that actor. I think he's actually quite good. Uh, and, right. and he represents, uh, you know, um, 
the man, you know, and John Voight represents freedom, <laughs> you know, and this guy is trying right. to lock up freedom. That's essentially what the movie is uh, after, you know, in a right. really, really visceral, literal way. So, uh, what was it going to, um, there's something else about, about his character. It was, uh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. We forgot to mention that the jail itself is a maximum security prison in some very remote area of Alaska. Yeah. Right. So cold, cold, uh, uh, remote area, Alaska is where this prison is. Right. Yep. So anyway, so they, they get pressured by legal and media to release, not release, but to remove John Voigt from maximum Allow security. Allow him to get out so of his cell, be, at least, you know. Allow him to get out of his cell, and now he's amongst everyone else, and at which point, uh, he's a hero. you know, he's a hero amongst prisoners. Right. Uh, and uh, the, even the freaking warden tries to bribe another prisoner to try to stab him and misses and it just turns it's a, it's a fucking mess yeah. it's horrible it's actually pretty interesting to see that that dynamic between the hatred like the hatred that the warden has for john void mm -hmm. and john void it just seems like just be like you're an asshole like it's just pretty well pretty, yeah the conflict, the conflict is pretty great because the whole idea is that the you know the warden feels that he is i mean he and actually gives this sort of speech about your place on the, in the hierarchy of humanity to all the prisoners. And he's like, you know, there's, right. there's me, there's the guards, there's the prison dogs, and then there's you, right? Like you're below an animal. And that's how, his, that's how he feels about all the prisoners. And uh, you can see that he respects um, self-control, right? And so uh, he hates John Voight having so much respect that he has in the prison. Right. And so right. he wants to make John Voight break. And so he hires, you know, he, he, like you said, he pays off a guy to attack John Voight. And John Voight, instead of fighting the guy back, uh, just defends himself, gets stabbed through the hand by the guy. The guy is apologizing to John Voight as he's attacking him, saying, I'm so sorry, you know, the, the warden put me up to this. The warden put me up to this. Right. And Voight won't. Uh, attack this guy back and that's what frustrates the warden so terribly because all he wants because he wants him to crack exactly. and give an excuse to, him. to shoot him to shoot him yeah exactly um but and, and uh, now you know when you get pierced through the palm of the hand with anything uh you're already into uh symbolic territory <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh yeah <laughs> and so that is definitely what is happening in this movie uh, yeah, and so uh, and, you know, John Voight is not a is not a uh, Christ figure in any sort of um, uh, you know traditional moral way, but he is definitely a Christ figure in terms of um, he is quite clearly sacrificing himself. By the end of the movie, he's sacrificing himself for the meaning of what he is doing uh, to yep. the prisoners that he was yep. uh, that worship him so, so thoroughly. Right. So so just quick, just on a general plot. Uh, point of view um he decides that uh, uh eric roberts really gets to know him and gets very excited about knowing him and befriending him uh and john voight basically just doesn't necessarily treat him super well but just basically it's like okay whatever what happens then is um 
they he comes up with a plan like I'm going to spring. I'm going to get out of here, right? I'm going to break jail, uh, get out of jail, and uh, he ropes in Eric Roberts to to do it for him or to help him out through this process. Mm-hmm. At which point he uh, go, has this whole routine about stuffing him in the laundry basket situation, which seems kind of cliche. And it seems like you really shouldn't get away with that, but somehow he does yeah, hey, nonetheless. He's get him out of prison. <laughs> right. It's so, a new way to get him out of a prison, but yeah, we get him out of prison. It's fine. Yeah. So they're going to get out of prison. And at which point uh, um, he gets out, he slips out, and he starts to do his escape, at which point Eric Roberts decided, well, I'm so freaking close, and I admire this guy so much. I just want to be with him. That's the thing that 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 Eric Roberts' character is mm-hmm. like. I want to be with this guy. Right. I want to be like I. I am. I see the light. This is the savior of whatever, and I just want to be with this guy. Right. Right. And he's at which point John Voice says, "Oh, go ahead." Yeah, John Voice says, "Like, yeah, you can tag along if you want, but don't slow me down." Right. So that was the thing. Yeah, because there's a there's a it, one of my favorite things in this movie is the difference between those two guys. To me, is that um, is that uh, um, Eric Roberts represents, uh, you know, he is he has hero worship for John Voight, right? But John Voight is not a hero, you know. He is uh, right. Like he is simply uh, taking action. Like he's not doing it to be cool. He's not doing it because he needs to prove a point. He's not doing it because of any larger anything to start with. He is doing it because it needs to be done. Like this is what I'm doing, and right. uh, and once they start, you know, getting out of the prison, once they, immediately once they're out of prison, suddenly like the difference between these two guys is night and day. Because like John Voight is suffering the same things that uh, that uh, Eric Roberts is, but Eric Roberts can't stop complaining. You know, yeah. he's just like, oh, I'm so cold. I need shoes. Oh my god, I need shoes. Oh geez, and John Voight's like just plowing ahead like the Terminator. Like he's not conce- yeah, he's not right. concerning himself with the fact that his toes are frozen. He's like, I need to get as far away as I can. There's no point in bitching about it. I'm just going, you know. And it comes right. to a point when Eric Roberts is complaining so much they almost get into a fight, and it's clear that John Voight will just kill him. Like you're dead weight to me, and and Eric Roberts right. realizes that like, he's pushed it too far and says like, please don't kill me, you know. And, and John Voight's like, please don't make me. <laughs> you know, like, right. like this is like, yeah, like you have an idea, like you and everybody in the prison has been looking at me as like this heroic, tragic, whatever for so long, but in reality, I'm just, I am like void to himself. He's the runaway train. Like he's just like, I am going, man. Like there's nothing going to stop me from right. doing this thing. Well, that was the thing, right? He was like, "What do you think's going to happen when you break out of jail? You think you're going to go to Cancun and be rich, whatever? Mm-hmm. No." You're going to have a shitty, shitty, shitty job Mm -hmm. working in a shitty, shitty restaurant or whatever for very little pay. You're going to scrub that spot. And you're going to be scrubbing floors and doing shitty work. Get your paycheck. You're complaining about your shoes now, but you're going to have the crappiest, worst job ever. Because if you don't do that, you're going right back to prison. asshole's going to come up to you and tell you, that's not clean mm-hmm. and you're going to have to do it over again mm-hmm. and you're going to have to keep your cool 
or you're going to end up back in jail. Because right. you know, and then this and, and then, this reminds me. I mean, I would ask a, you guys, like, does this remind if you? If you can do that, oh, that, that's the point he makes, which is a very eighties thing. Yeah. It's like the line he says, and if you can do that, eventually you'll be president of Chase Manhattan, yeah, exactly. which is basically what the eighties mentality is. Right. Like, I can work my way from there to, to the top you know, of the president of Chase Manhattan. <laughs> Which is completely the, the that was the American dream of the eighties, yep. and I think there's a lot of people on the left side that still believe that. <laughs> uh, and don't, uh, but yeah, yeah. Like the, anyway. the, this movie has a lot in common, I think, and maybe you guys would agree with Cool Hand Luke. Like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. like I, I think that uh, that uh, that uh, Luke in Cool Hand Luke, uh, Robert, uh, not Robert Redford, uh, sorry, Paul Newman. Um, Paul, Paul Newman uh, is is simply his own person, and that's trouble enough, you know. And yeah. and uh, and he realizes like when he gets out, like his major relief for the both of them, like there is a greater because he is just pursuing something simple, he is pursuing something great, you know. And there's a uh, like by the end of Runaway Train, like he has taken on yeah. There you go. Look at that. That's, I sketch the uh, by the end of Runaway Train, the character arc for um, um, uh, John Voight has become very powerful because in looking into himself and what he values, he sees something really grand, right? Yeah. And it's not like a I want to lead millions of people to a revolution or anything like this. He's like, no, there's a simple beauty in standing up against people trying to hold you down, and it doesn't matter if you die doing it. And uh, and it makes it a really not just a thrilling movie, but a really sort of um, it's a big statement movie without being a big statement movie. It, mm-hmm. What's interesting too, I wonder if he would have felt that way if he wasn't locked up the way he was so brutally. Oh sure, yeah, I agree. I think the the locking oh, yeah, up is sort hard. of like I mean, it's almost like how they how Luke changes after they lock him in the box, you know. Like he comes out and he's got a different mindset, and I think that that's yeah. basically where we open up this movie, is he's been in the box for three years, and he is in uh, the right. like the the, the which once he gets which in front, that's what he's in front Like why 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 put someone in the box for three years? You're just going to make the situation so much worse, mm-hmm. uh-huh. right? But that's still you know whatever. Because I think when he went, um, when he went into the I, box, I he was essentially Eric Roberts, and when he came out of the box, um, he was yeah, no, probably, yeah, yeah. No. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, they end up when they have that big argument about the whole, uh, you know, what are you going to do when you get out here? You're, you know, going to get a shitty job, et cetera, et cetera. That whole conversation. Uh, they are at a train yard, and they are going to uh, uh, figure out. Uh, basically, they're going to hop a train. Right, that's their whole plan is to hop a train, and uh, they're looking around. And John Voight finds sees a train that that kind of has this kind of little. It looks big and nasty, but rustic and old at the same there's, time. There's a magnificence to that train, like, and that intro. Intro to that's the best shot of the first half of the movie is the intro of that train. Yeah, it's and, a pretty like there was so significant because when they were with. In the third act, or the end of the second act, some guy complaining from the company said, 
we try to get rid of that train for years. And that guy who had a heart attack kept holding on to it. He yeah, refused exactly. to have right. us get rid of it. Right. So, so uh, for those of you, I mean, like it's not, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know how common it is around uh, the rest of the world, but for, for big trains, especially freight trains, uh, they have multiple locomotives uh, and they usually carry a huge amount of cargo. Uh, and very common in the United States where we have trains with four locomotives carrying a hundred cars behind yeah, it. Yeah, you ever been out to Montana, right? you'll sit through a stoplight as a train goes by for like 12 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. enormous, enormous it's, things. It's a lot. Right. It's a lot of stuff, right? So very common, especially when you're carrying a lot of cargo. So this is obviously a big uh, uh, freight train. Uh, however, this only has four locomotives and no cargo. Yeah, nothing. It's all no engine, cargo on the whole thing. It. It's all engine. It just happens to be moving down the track, and there's one old guy who's doing it. But what happens to the old guy is the old guy is moving this train, and it just starts slowly moving that track. He has it going in full full acceleration because he's just starting the train, right. right? You need it to accelerate. But somehow as he's doing that, the old guy has a heart attack, manages to slam on the brakes, but the brakes were not hard, hard enough for something. No, the brakes are made for falls like, off dead. Right. The, the, he falls off dead off the, off the train and the train still move is still moving down the the tracks at which point this is the train that eric robert and john voigt decide to jump not knowing that there's no uh conductor uh and the train is still moving and the brakes are on which is slowing its acceleration but the train is still slowly accelerating the whole time and, the, and it's grinding the brakes into oblivion right like so like the, yeah. right and the brake the brakes get basically burned off so there's no more brakes on the train and the train is just barreling forward at full speed with no one driving yeah, four it. engines going faster and right? faster and faster right so it goes it and goes this from is being a escape vehicle to being a, a a missile, <laughs> you know, missile, yeah. right? Borrow from um, and missile mostly by mass because it. I think it, it it gets to ninety miles an hour, which is mm -hmm. pretty stupid fast for a freight train because most freight trains are only going about thirty five right. miles an hour or something like right. that. Uh, but it's going like ninety miles an hour, um, and that's pretty fast you know, for a big chunk of steel. Yeah, that's yeah, an awful that's lot of mass. Lot of, yeah. That's high energy. High energy. Yeah, that's a lot of momentum. Um, and so it's barreling down this area, at which point now you get into Pelham one, two, three, and you got a guy looking at a big switchboard, <laughs> right. trying to figure out how to, you know, maneuver the tracks and move one train from one thing to the next thing. Uh, and that's really when the movie starts, it's, it's more iconic thing like this train barreling down. Oh my God. How do we get it to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing? Right. And, you know, they try to figure out what's going on. They try to they try to figure out about maybe we should just derail it because there's no one on the train. And then someone says, oh, no, there's someone on the train. Turns out there's three people on the train. Yep, but, as it turns um, out. Yeah. But before we, before we even know that, we know that the, the, the warden wants uh, John Voight and Eric Roberts back. And he is, once he finds out that they're on that train... Like he wants to yep. stop the train because of that. Right. So he wants to stop these guys and, uh, uh, and he does his best to sort of override what the, 
uh, the the guys at the big board are saying and doing. Do you guys realize right. that possibly, and I'll have to check IMDb, but I swear I saw two character actors that were both in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> that may be true, yes. Oh, yeah, like the one of the guys. The yeah, guy the holding one the, of the guys. boxing were... event holding the sign up. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think that's the same guy. I, I can tell you that not only does it feature Danny Trejo, but it also features uh, the guy who played uh, uh, Vladimir Harkonnen in David Lynch's Dune. He is one oh. of the uh, one of the train guys. Oh yes, and you, he's, he is he's, he is the he is the main conductor guy. Yes, he is he is featured in a lot of eighties movies of this period. Well, period. not the conductor. He's the main guy at that, the train switching station thing. Right, and so he's he's got a lot of good big screamy bits. And then uh, I wanted to yep. say I thought like the guy who was on the mic was Stuart Pankin, but I'm not sure if that's true. It, like it reminded me of him. Um, but like I think that the uh, and you know no disrespect to anybody, but there's some of the worst acting in this movie has to do with the team that's in the the big yeah. room. <laughs> like there's some yeah. screamy stuff that doesn't work. It's shot kind Ugh. of funny. Like it all feels like B unit um, material. And like, there's there's parts of this movie that sort of slip down into being like, you know, knockoff of Forty Eight Hours kind of stuff, and it's just like, it doesn't play at all. And I and it's it's confusing um, because like the stuff well, the stuff on the train, uh, overacting in, uh, included really is awesome. Like it's simply awesome, and uh, because it really builds up this mythic resonance as it goes. And the and, yep. and the photography and the uh, and the design of the train and the and uh, and the music or at least one half of the music um, totally back that up. But like this, but the movie's a little schizophrenic. It has these like like crappy eighties uh, television moments. Uh, and uh, and I think that when you brought up the music, like that sort of like that uh, you know super synthy like. When they have access to the other music they also use, which is this big, beautiful, strange orchestral stuff, yes. yeah. like I'm like, why are we, why are you using the other crappy music ever? It was, it was totally. It just confused. seems, it seems out of place, right? Yeah. It's suddenly like you were going for something like dramatic and orchestral to like. Yeah. It's like a third rate it was you know, totally, Hill Street Blues knockoff stuff. Well, it wasn't even that. It yeah. was very much like a Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. Yes, that's, that's exactly the flavor. And and it's really yep. it's really awkward. So like the movie is not bump oh, free. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> running to the train. Oh no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, back to the train. <laughs> Like the Pointer but, uh, Sisters. But yes. I'm so excited. It's exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's and I so just out can't of place. It's so it. wacky. I'm going to catch that train and I'm going to ride it. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Yeah. Hard. Hard love. Hard love. <laughs> oh that was God, pretty good. That's a, that was hey, that's a hit. <laughs> that's a hit. They should have done that. I could have totally seen that. Uh, that at the, the, the because at that time 
That's when they would shove all kinds of random songs into the uh, end credits of movies just so they could sell it as the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Do you totally. remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like yeah, they just put like random, like suddenly there's a rap song yeah. in the in the credits <laughs> just so they can put that on the soundtrack somehow. <laughs> I had this okay. thought the other, like, like a week ago. I said, imagine the way AI is progressing, that we're going to have films like, literally like ordinary people and then you're going to cut in like Gary Busey and it will oh, work seamless. Dad, dude, for it sure. will be seamless or like put yeah. him black and white in uh in uh what's it called again in the Godzilla one and be like what? Oh my god he's Raymond Burr. Gary Busey is Raymond Burr in Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> I actually look forward to that. I like the idea of remixing movies and like yeah, recasting and things. Nugent, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, it's but his like first I, role when I when I saw just this last week, there was a, an AI that uh, took a, took samples of um, uh, Rick Astley's song. You know, I'm never gonna give you. Oh, I saw that. And continued, continued. Exactly. It writes, yes, it, I saw it that. Writes pa- so it stops and then writes past a certain point where it thinks the song is gonna go. And I was like, this right. is a slightly better song. <laughs> so what did it just? Well, it wasn't. It was completely believable. Yeah. Yeah. It got really it weird. Was a, yeah, but it was really, it was really interesting. Well, the thing that was interesting is that it was singing. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And it used words that are like it was kind of like me singing in the shower of a song that I don't really know the titles. Yeah. Of, so the they kind of don't make sense. They were going to pinky pong, kind of kind of song thing, kind of one link on, and funk you, you know, like. That's what it sounded like. Like all these vague sort of like, what? if you give me the one thousand, I'm the time to the world of a row. What? But like it changes, it, like it changes the beat a little bit. Like it changes yeah. him, like uh, the syncopation of his voice with the song. Yeah, and like after about 10 or 11 seconds, it's drifted enough to be a really weird new version of this thing. And I was like, I can't wait right. till they do this with movies, dude. Like if you're watching like It's a Wonderful Life and then you let the AI predict what the plot's going to do and like render oh it out. <laughs> like, that would be it's genius, so weird. <laughs> Suddenly Clarence's, mm-hmm. Clarence takes him to heaven. <laughs> and like goes to a, another version of his hometown and meets another version of himself. <laughs> hey, so how I was cool actually I was actually I was actually quoted in Hollywood Reporter today. Oh, nicely done. Uh, uh, for talking about AI stuff, <laughs> deep learning stuff on digital human stuff, and and on the bottom of the article was specifically that was uh, uh, Paul DeBevic talking about like the possibility of like. Uh, scripts being written by AI. Sure. So it's like, dude, we're pretty darn close to that. They're not called AIs; they're called lawyers. But <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? It's like you're, there, there's no originality to films anymore. They're like, just give me a film that includes these seven things, right. and then it like the AI talk does does it. For right. You, you know. Right. No, because I actually. I, Did you remember? Go ahead. Do you remember there was a there's a Futurama episode where they had the robots of network? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember this one. It was like. It was just basically like these robots that would make decisions on what shows were going to be popular or not. And it was like this thing where they basically like somehow one of them would just like, like, you know, 
Gatorade is really big in Boise right now. Like, like, and then somehow, like, that's that's part of the plot, you know, whatever <laughs> right. it is. And then, and then there's another one that just said <laughs> that had a, a die in its hand. And it would roll like a d20 or something like that, and would go like more robots. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, just makes like random. So awesome. Like what? And it was like, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much the AI of movies. Like that's I we're. We used to make fun. We used to make fun of shows. Like, remember, like, what was it called? Um, uh, Ed TV or whatever oh, sure. it was called. Yeah. Or, right. right. And that, and that, and there was like that. Can imagine if TV was like that? Well, guess what? TV is like that. Absolutely. It's called Real Housewives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what it is. Well, you know what I think like, is actually we, we like. What's pretty interesting is that I, like, I'm not. I'm not saying this because. Uh, I believe in uh, Rocco's Basilisk. I'm just saying this. I'm saying this uh, because I think there's something interesting about the idea of, say, AI's writing scripts, right? To me, and what that is yeah. is that the between AI's writing scripts and lawyers' writing scripts, I'd rather read what the AI's make than what the lawyers make, right? Right, because at least they feel like the AI may actually have a possibility of being creative. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is like the AI because it's not awake; it doesn't have any shame. Well, come up with unexpected. Exactly, unexpected, it'll do right? weird things. Whereas, like the 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 problem with you know like Disney lawyers writing scripts is because they are operating by what they don't want. They're they're trying to minimize risk all the time, and AIs can't right. understand what risk is at all. Yeah, and so like That's they true. have as I think if you could have a AI write the first pass of a script and then you hand it to an actual screenwriter to make make it make sense like it'll the first pass mm. will make no sense but the screenwriter can turn that into something that makes sense and keeps the bizarre nature of what AIs think of you know that's the human element well, that you I need think to guide you're that right script. and I think that's actually the better way to think of AI like AI could could deliver the unexpected yes. that is hard to achieve creatively yeah but the creativity could could nurture that unexpected into something really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you still have to and have it groomed into being a, a real right. product, you know. But you like the idea of yep. growing it in a in a sort of a, a natural creative space that doesn't know any better. It's just creating things, you know, unselfconsciously right. generating material. But it's interesting because a lot of people say the other way around. Like some people is like the unexpected is going to come from our con from our subconscious, not from the AI, right? And the AI is going to take what you do from your subconscious and turn and help you polish that. So it could go both sure, a ways. Bit of both. A little bit of both. And then one could do the other and then you like deliver whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, human intervention, the way it's going to be is going to be what it is. Uh, and, and how, how important uh, human interactions uh, become in a creative process is going to be very interesting. Uh, and the fact is, I really, really think that you're not, not everyone likes everything. Right. So different People react to different things and different tastes. And so we are, uh, it's not going to, there's not going to be a universal like this is a great movie anymore. Right. It's going to be like, this is a movie that I like. Right. And that's a movie that you like. Yes. And that still exists now. But like, because of the budgets of these movies, especially like the, the, the Marvel films, et cetera, et cetera, they have to make a movie that everyone likes. Because the only way they're going to break even is if everyone on the planet watches that. Yeah, movie. totally, dude. So totally. with that and announcement today and how much easier it is eventually going to be to make full yeah. features, um, do you think that will change? That you you just go for the organic kind of like – it's like chefs, you know? It's like 
you well if you lower the budgets you are allowed to do more but the uh, quality targeted. after today's announcement for unreal no yeah if you lower the well i'm not going to get too much into the unreal thing but if you lower the if you if you lower the budgets uh, of your feature films <laughs> you are going to allow yourself to target more specific audiences instead of having to target a broad audience. Yeah. And totally. if you can target more specific audiences, uh, then you do two things. One is like you just ignore the people that don't want to see your movie and that's fine, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, my mom does not want to see a cyberpunk film. And that's fine, right? Uh, but I do. Uh, and that's that's good. But there's only so many of me that exist. <laughs> so you have to make a target so that, you know, your profit margins are higher. Right. So you have to lower the only way you're going to do that is you lower your cost. Yeah. Now, the question is, if you can lower the cost and keep the quality high, right? right? That's that's the magic. If you can do the quality high, but the budgets are lower and you can meet your target audience. Yeah, and, and universally. Then, then, the, then at which point, then at which point you're you're Blumhouse, right? right. And you're you're making a, a, like very cheap movies and achieving a very, very uh, you know, like exciting people right. that want to see that movie and then keep going. Well, because like this, so, yeah. we talked about it before, but it's like the there used to be a great relationship between studios and indies in that the indies were seen as the sort of like um, farm teams for yeah. um, uh, for for hiring exactly new like interesting were, directors, yeah. right? And uh, right. and so like the you, you because you have lower budgets, you can take greater risks creatively because it doesn't matter as much because there's not that much money being risked in the first place. And you end up doing really creative, interesting things. And those right. movies get seen or are mi minor hits or whatever it is. And then the big guys like Disney and Universal or whatever would step in and say, like, how would you like to direct something bigger using your uh, natural inventiveness that we've identified right. because of the small hit that you've had? And that's how you keep the uh, money going for Disney at the large scale because, like, you know, when movies like, you know, when Iron Man first came out, it was revolutionary, you know, and uh, and it deserved to make a shitload of money. Even if it was a big studio product, it was a really good movie. You know, uh, when Star Wars mm -hmm. came out, it deserved to make a lot of money because it was a really good movie. And it was because they invested in essentially an in indie, in indie filmmaker. Uh, and, but mm -hmm. now that uh, they no longer Disney, Disney has not only made so much money off of uh it's blockbuster franchise where people are seeing it just because it's part of the franchise now, but they're also at such monetary risk right now that they're in the, they're in the position of like, you know, they don't know, they don't know how to risk right now. And they're not in the position to risk, but they really need to make no. take risks if they want but to get out of it. Like let's, let's, you know, going back to the movies we've, we've been talking about, look at like Garrett Edwards, right? Mm -hmm. So Garrett Edwards did monsters yeah. right that's a great film. an indie film i love that movie an indie yeah an indie film that i think he said out of pocket cost him 50 grand to make right, right? and he did all the effects Super himself or with a small team they look good all effects himself yeah. did everything they shot it on the gun most people like it was all just mo like pretty much quote unquote found footage of themselves right. that they shot it and it was great and and then he was a very very smart way of doing things and actually there's a it was a real the first time i saw i before he was even big uh he was on uh fx guide and uh, as a podcast and he talked about his inspiration towards monsters and everything else it was a fascinating episode i really knew cool. him like, from before that because he used to put out after effects uh training videos 
Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I still have them. I bought them. That's awesome. Right. So, so he was, that was the thing he did, right? Um, And then, anyway, so he did that. Videos, too. Uh, and then uh, uh, he got because of that he got put on Godzilla, yeah, the new the new right. uh, generation of Godzilla, right. which was not yeah great. Yeah, it's, it's not so good. So you take that guy. Yeah, they they, they you, didn't you allow take him to that do guy, it. And it's, was, I don't blame him. Yeah. I know that that, that is not his fault. Right. He's a good director. So you take him and you shove him into the two hundred million dollar machine, mm-hmm. and you're like. Well, I guess he couldn't hack it. It's like, no, it's not that he couldn't hack it. No one can hack. Directors don't. I mean, we, we, fuck's sake. I talked about it with Tim Miller when he did Terminator. Mm-hmm. It's like Tim Miller is a very talented director and get very, very, Excellent. and very mature and experienced person right. and a creative side. You shove them through the $200 million machine and you got everyone breathing down your throat. You get 50 that, producers that, that is and everything no else. Way, yeah. Yeah. That is no way to make a movie. Yeah. It just, just does You're not going to get anything. There are some people that can make a movie. It's not going to be a great movie, but it'll be a movie. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> right? You know, I call you'll, them, you'll get the right. I call them corporate directors because they right, play, like the Ron Howard. They, play, right. yeah, the they, is, they know it, politics, and that's their thing. I, a good corporate director, I lo- there are great corporate directors. Ron, Ron Howard is a great one. And like Ron yep. Howard makes good movies. Sometimes he makes bad movies, but most of the time he makes pretty good movies. And he knows how to play the game. And uh, you go to see his movie, and you're like, I know what this is going to be like. I know it's generally going to be quality. And every now and again, he makes a great movie. But it's always within the um, lines that the studio uh, lays out for. You know, they love it. Right. And he's really, really, really good at it. There are people, there are great directors that are like that. But when you take someone like uh, Gareth Edwards and try to make him, like he's going from, you know, you know, 16000 bucks and doing effects himself to room full of... Uh, of producers um, saying you got to make this $150 million movie uh, be a giant hit for us. And we all have greater decision-making power than you. <laughs> like there's just no way to do right. that. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a just bad the bet. worst. It's a bad bet for yeah. him. It's a bad bet for them. Yeah. All right. I gotta be, I'll be right back guys. Oh, that's, right that's a load of crap. God damn, um, God damn. Why, why do we put up with this crap? This is unprofessional. I'm just um, looking at a, I agree with you on that head. point. I agree yeah, with you no, on I that think, point. Because I'm not, I'm not anti-studio. I, like I love. Uh, there's a million great studio films, you know, and like there's a uh, there's uh, studio directors like the guy who um, who did uh, uh, all the Hunger Games or the later Hunger Games movies, which are really yeah. good movies. You know, they're very like they're they're totally within line with what the studio needs. Do you think you're a studio but, director? Uh, no, but uh, but I respect the I respect people that can play that game. I would I would. Uh, uh, oh, I, would I respect like to it think, too. I'm not one no. either. Yeah, like that's it's that's not. I get like I directed a, um, a movie for the Planet of the Apes franchise in support of, of uh, I like of, that uh, one too. The second one, and uh, and the people that I work for, I, I work directly for Vice Media, and the people at Vice were totally fantastic. But, um, uh, you know, the limitations of the game were to produce a particular kind of product. And, uh, and ultimately, we ended up with something that I liked a lot, but there's a cut that's better, and, uh, in my opinion, and uh, everyone who worked on something. And uh, what we got out there was good, but um, not as good as the cut that we wanted. And that was because, um, 
there were th- there were lines that were drawn by the studio that there's just no way to. I mean, there's no fault of theirs. This is their needs. It's basically an ad, you know. Um, yeah. But they're not in the business of making really interesting uh, experimental art. <laughs> they're in the business of selling no. tickets, you know. So I understand their point of view, but it's very frustrating to work within that model. Um, if you uh, if you want to try to um, uh, do something different, and if you're Ron Howard, obviously he's been working with the studio for ever, and it's in his blood. He's been on you know since he was in TV as a little kid. He's been doing this stuff, and so yeah. he knows how to play ball, and it's great. And I really really admire that. And um, when I when I was in that position, I didn't handle it as well as as he would have, and. Uh, and it was it was a little bit harder on me. And that's again no fault to anybody I worked with. They're all great people, and I think turned out very well. Um, but uh, but the limitations are the limitations can be um, uh, depressing if you're coming at it from the wrong angle. And I think that I that's the when you when you run into stuff like I, I admire Gareth Edwards for um, uh, because he also went on to go uh, he did uh, Rogue One. Right after that, yeah, which is my he did Rogue One, right? and uh, which is my favorite, second favorite, second favorite all of all Star Wars. Films. Yeah, like it's that's my favorite of all the modern Star Wars films by a million miles, uh, and by far. But I think it's second only to Empire of all the Star Wars. I, I agree. I think it's. I think it's. Tremendous. Wasn't he fired from it though? He was. No. Well, he was like he. No, he wasn't. Well, yeah, like I, I was he? Say, he wasn't. He wasn't fired, but they did massive, massive reshoots, and yep. they. They gave those reshoots to, this is the way I understand it, I hope I'm being accurate here, um, but uh, they gave those reshoots to um, uh, Tony Ron Gilroy, Howard. and Tony Gilroy is a marvelous director okay, and a writer in his own right. Yeah, he did Michael Clayton, and he wrote all the Bourne, Bourne films and all that, all that stuff. Um, okay. And, uh, and so uh, it's a huge portion of what you see in Rogue One is, um, is Tony Gilroy's work. And what I really admire um, about uh, Edwards is that he totally played ball with the studio on this. Like he didn't make a big stink about it. He didn't do anything like that. They're like, we're going to put Tony Gilroy on this, and he's like, cool. I will work with Tony Gilroy, and we're going to make a great movie. And uh, and that's the that's the appropriate thing to do in that situation. And they ended up making a good movie, you know. Um, but I think right. that it's it must have been very hard for him. Uh, and I really sympathize with him to hear that news the first time you hear that news. Then when you go like, oh, that's right. I'm not doing this as my own personal artistic dream. I'm making this as a product for a studio. And I have, to com- I have to conform to what the studio wants. And uh, yeah. there's no way out of that. And uh, it's something that I like. I mean, think about it this way. It's like, it's like saying you're going to be designing the new iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're, you are, you are maybe involved in some ideas that that uh, that create the iphone but you're not the designer yeah. of the new iphone because like i was saying i mean that's the thing right these star wars these star wars films are like the iphone right yeah, yeah. they come out it's every year it's a product and like i was it's just saying product. when you were out i was saying there like you know when i when i did this planet of the apes gig the, the short film and and the movie turned out really great and i can tell you 100 percent that everyone we worked on worked with on it was was cool like everyone i met was cool everyone was being responsible towards making something good like there's no bad guys in that story at all but ultimately it's a studio product that we were working on and those limitations ended up being hard you know and so uh uh for 
someone who like Edwards who can get in there and say like, yeah, I'll design the iPhone. And then halfway through, they're like, you know, we're not going to let you design the iPhone. Right. And he has and he has the had the strength of character to go. No. Yeah, of course not. It's a product. I understand. You know, then now he can continue on with his career. He hasn't messed it up for himself. He has good relationships with everybody. And uh, they ended up making a good movie by partnering up. Uh, as good a movie as you could make, given the fact that it's... The circumstances, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, ultimately, like you're saying, Chris, Star Wars is like, you know, it's like the candy machine and I Love Lucy. <laughs> you know, like, that's right. what's happening. Yeah. And uh, you just need to put the candies in the box. That's what you're supposed to do. And when you try and do anything different, it turns into a sitcom. And that's what's happened to Star Wars a couple of times now. Yep. But you look at something like yep. uh, Godzilla in 1954, you know, like that is a uh, not a very expensive movie. You know, that's um, uh, I think it was like $175,000, $150,000. You know, it's like a very small budget movie. And it ended up making two million bucks in the Japanese box office. You know? That's crazy. Uh, and it's because that is a, uh, a really creative, uh, brilliant work of art. That is like, yeah, it's trying to be a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's trying to hit the notes for a particular thing. But the the people who are making it have something to say. And that's why yeah. the movie works. And then when you look at Runaway Train, you get the same thing. It's just like, yeah, there's some hangups with this movie. You know, like there's some there's some 80s things. There's some like sloppy acting, okay. whatever it is. So let's, let, let's actually go through that because I don't think I, you guys haven't progressed since I left. And uh, Oh, we've progressed as people. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a better person. Uh, so... Uh, so there is a third person that is on this train that we find out, and it's this person that was on another locomotive, and she, she as we find out, works her way to their locomotive, and uh, she is part of the train. So she 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 happens to be another person that's on the train, and it's uh, 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 Rebecca, Rebecca De Mornay, who who is a. A hot actress at that time yep. uh, in terms of the 80s-ness, right? Yeah, she's famous for Risky uh, Business, I think. Risky Business right. and... Oof. Yeah, she was the... Yeah. Yeah, she was the, she was the hot I ticket. Think I realized, yeah. I realized certain parts of my body's functioned normally after watching Risky <laughs> yeah, Business. Yeah, you know, like, this is like... And this is no yeah, disrespect to... puberty session. Yeah, right. No disrespect yeah. to De- Rebecca DeMarnay. Like, that's well, the reason why she... Right. Like she was cast as the sex symbol uh, for a good run of eighties films, and right. and she wanted, and like it's obvious she wanted to break out of that and and uh, right. run away train. And that's actually that. an interesting thing because in this film she is not necessarily playing someone sexy. Yeah, no, there's nothing. She is gritty. Yeah. She does not have any makeup on right. that you can see. She's wearing a jumpsuit right? most of the time. She's wearing a jumpsuit. Right. She's got these weird little pigtail things that are bizarre she's not sexy at all right she looks like sissy basic at times yeah, she, does, does, she does yeah it's true. Uh, but but because it's rebecca de mornay and she's got like you know good you know foundational bone structure shall we say like her face is still like got a solid look she's got very striking blue eyes so she's attractive in this underneath the dirt kind of situation right right <laughs> right in the so so uh it's a very interesting role that she's taking on but also i felt like we need a female interest and we're just going to shoehorn a girl into this and somehow she appears like halfway through the film there's a girl 
Yeah, well, it's it's uh, interesting. Yeah, like I, I think that I, I sort of agree with you because it's like I think that they didn't like there needs to be a third person on the train for sure, uh, and I think it's good that it's a yes. I think it's good that it's a woman uh, because it sort of it breaks up the the dynamic. Um, uh, but I don't think yes. I, like I I think that I this know is probably like I I think that this is probably an aspect I don't know what uh, Kurosawa's. I know why like. she's there. Oh yeah, yeah. Why is she there, Eric? Because she said to John Boyd, "It's gonna be okay." And he's like, "What do you mean? I just feel it. I have faith. I know. I just believe in it." And that is what splits the two. He's too dopey, you know. He's like of mice and men, Eric Roberts. But right. it's like she has faith and he doesn't. She puts herself out there. It's not. I'm not saying it's religious, but. She oh, I just, get it. totally. She puts herself out there and just trusts something else. And yes. he is so hard and he's like, you can only trust yourself. You can only trust yourself, without a doubt. Yeah, I totally see the, the like, that's what that movie needs for sure. And and I think that it also gives uh, a sort of a normal person to be in the story that you can start judging the future of the characters by. Because if they, if they were, if it's only um, uh, Roberts and... Um, and John Voight, like John Voight, uh, yeah. like even if these were miraculously perfect performances, like they're big characters and they're very, uh, they're they're very uh, uh, unique Checking characters. Bombs. Yeah, yeah, and like, uh, and I think that you need someone in there to be. There's a normal. There's a normal world out there that you could be a part of, and I think she sort of stands for that. You know, they're like here's here's regular everyday people. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, you know, like she has a, like the, the slightest hint of a romantic relationship between her and Roberts by the end. I'm like right. hardcore, yeah. but it's like enough that there's a connection, um, where you can see that he is li- his life is going to get on track in a, in a real and good way, um, because of this experience. And I think, so I think that like, uh, she represents, like you're saying, she represents sort of hope and belief in people, um, which she has in Eric Roberts, but uh, allows John Voigt uh, a realization that transforms his own um, purpose, which is solid. Uh, and it, and she initially provides a lot of good conflict between the two guys. So all that being said, I think that like overall, she's, it's a great idea to have her in there. I bet she's in the original script, uh, or some character like her is in the original script by Kurosawa. Would, but it feels like it feels something, like the writer says we need a female we need a female interest. I think it like, is the Rebecca feels, de Mornay of it. I think it's the fact that it's Rebecca de Mornay that she, that it feels studio. Like I think that she it is, could have been she, a boy char- a guy character. Yeah, we're like, you, know I mean? you know like it, it could have been. If, I think you're right. I think it's it, good overall. I think she's good and I think it works. But it just somehow is like I I think I think yeah. having it be a woman is actually a great idea. But when you brought Sissy Spacek, I'm like. It should be Sissy Spacek. Like, that's right. who you put in this movie. That's but the by problem, the way, guys, it's Rebecca you've read, uh, If you've read uh, Wikipedia, they originally cast Bette Midler. It was Bette Midler. Miss that Bette is not Midler. true. No. Yeah, no. She does. She, and she, there's a number. There's a in big the train, musical number. And John is about to go out and face <laughs> that wind and that snow. And she says, grabs his hand, she starts singing. And Bette 
she she killed the scene. She really was Some say unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, Take my yeah, hand, because, let the snow blow in our face. We still yeah. have each other face to face or something like that's, that. Uh, yeah, something I'm like that. That's right. But yeah, like I, with the connection. Are you sure? Are you sure it was Batman? Because <laughs> I, I thought it was Barbara Streisand. But here's the deal. I was almost that positive. is going to be AI, right? Yeah. We're going to put Bette Midler yeah. in. If you if you can get it. Yeah, I, you know what? Actually, that would be great. No, like, I, I want to see what what this movie would look like with Barbara Streisand. Oh, here it is. Bette Midler. No, here it is. You, you gender swap uh, the characters, right? And you have yes. Lin Manuel Miranda is um, is uh, Rebecca De Mornay. And then you yes. have uh, Bette Midler and Ethel Merman as yep. uh, the two guys. Now we're talking yes. big we're the now we're talking that it needs to be. Now all we're their acting sense. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> See? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'll be great. Yep. <laughs> You'll be great. You'll get on that train right out of town. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> So can we talk about the acting choices for a second? Just like, we don't have to write it for a long time. But uh, I, I want to say, I was, I, was, uh, I was talking earlier with Anne about this. I was like, I think this is the, this is the very trackable moment uh, where John Voight goes from uh, 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 Midnight Cowboy John Voight to mm -hmm. Anaconda John Voight. <laughs> like, he makes such a big decision in this movie to be as uh not there's not even over the top there's like th this is a uh, like he's still bringing a realism to it like he is enthusiasm is enormous to make this convincing but the way what he's choosing to do is so uh wacko that uh it doesn't turn into a character it turns into a Weird cartoon. Do you want to know something interesting, Dan? If I can mm -hmm. play it, Dan. Um, if you look at that, I there are moments in when you're in those scenes that you're talking about where the continuity was off. He has yeah. grit on his teeth, and then he doesn't have grit on his teeth. Remember, he had the <laughs> aged, gritty teeth, yeah, like his right. teeth were brushed, mm -hmm. and then it goes right. back to Eric Roberts. She slips it back. His teeth are gritty. Cuts back. He's and it's right. like, wait a minute. Did he brush his teeth just then? What's happened? So, what happened? <laughs> so there's a weird like, but there is. I noticed that too. There is a weird part of his character where he just kind of flips to King of Queens. I don't know what it was, but it was. There's this weird part. But I still, I think he catches his breath once that warden gets on the train. Yeah. No. He like he 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 pulls it together. The, ultimately, the movie works. His character works. Uh, it's just like I think I mean, he's a, he is a great actor. He's now he's turning some of the best performances in the in the seventies period. That's the way it is, and, and he returns to John greatness. Boy? Yeah, and he returns to greatness later. You know, oh my God, Midnight Cowboy is amazing. Midnight Cowboy is amazing. Uh, I love home. him in his in small coming parts home? like uh, Coming Home is incredible. Yeah, I mean the guy's great. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And like he later on does stuff like he has a small bit in Heat that I like quite a bit when he plays the uh, De Niro's oh, boss. Yeah. Yep. You know, and he's, he's tremendous. Bombs, he's absolutely great. But there's something like about this where he clearly believes so much in what he's doing that he's just stepping on the gas with all his weight. And uh, and the movie doesn't fully support him. Uh, and it feels wobbly. Like, uh, I, yeah, the first time watching this, you might be like, this is not, this is going to fly apart before we get to the end. 
But in fact, he holds it together, and I think that like his, he does. Yeah, I think ultimately in the speech when he get when he, I really enjoyed this film, honestly oh, yeah, speaking, at the end, I was like, this is a good film. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's really the speech good. that you brought up uh, when he talks about like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna uh, scrub that bit of dirt, like that whole bit. Like I I think the acting is way too far, but you can see in his eyes that he really means it, and it's that weird yes. split. He was that doing. That's a great way of putting it. He was doing it. an accent that wasn't working. Exactly. Yeah, but but His but he believed, and and the message, the message he 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 was saying, the the, the writing was really good. Yes, right. Absolutely. Because the writing is basically like, dude, what the fuck do you think you're gonna do? You're gonna leave jail? It's like, why do you think so many people end up back in jail? Because their lives were actually like, you're a big shot in jail. You leave jail, you're a ex con. Right. Your life sucks. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, that's it. You know? And, and he's right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. And he delivers the goods, dude. And I think that, like, there's a couple of things. One, I'd like to say, like, this is the kind of acting that if it were released in 1954 next to Godzilla, it would have been totally appropriate. Like, that's, you know, right. like, it's, the, it's this sort of big, stagey acting that, uh, that worked in the 40s and 50s. And it would be more, more visceral and appropriate uh, than the 80s that it's shot in. And also... This is directed by a uh, like a Russian stage director, so th the staginess right. is obvious, and uh, which is also part of why the movie's great. Like once it sort of leaves reality behind and becomes just a incredible mythic thing, then it's great. Um, but it's, it's also beautifully shot too. Gorgeously. By the way, it's gorgeously. really like the DP, whoever the DP is on this. I don't know what else he did. But... Yeah, and, and oh, I do know what he did. Yeah. Who is it? He, he did a bunch of other. I I, I have my tabs closed. Uh, oh, I got it here. Dan, are Alan you Hume. I got I got that yeah. tab open right now. Okay, so yeah, uh, Alan Alan Hume uh, did a couple of James Bond movies. Uh, yep. and uh, he did Return of the Jedi, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, Return of the Jedi. Yes. There you go. But yeah, like it, I don't think he ever shot any. I'm looking at this list right now. He never shot anything that looked this good. This is really really tip top work. And uh, it's the it's really good the grayness and, the and, and it's beautiful design. and I think obviously they, they 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 used a lot of Alaska like so the snow and the ice and all that stuff was great, um, and you know there's something pretty about dirty snow mm -hmm. if you shoot it correctly you know what I mean right. right like and dirty snow can can have a grit to it that makes it feel feel dirty yeah. like and, and, and when it's that's part of the plot like the ice and, that is encasing yeah, those uh the cables beneath the train looks like cool. it's been on there yeah. for like 12 years <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. serious business yeah. yeah great production design yeah. great photography great if, if you've ever if ever you've you've lived in an area where there's a lot of snow it's that the look of the the oh. big chunks of ice that are accumulated under your wheel well that just are gross and disgusting right. and you like you kick it off just because it's gross yeah. and that's it, 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 it's filthy. So when you film that, it, it has an age it, it to feel, it. Then, it feels yeah. like jail. Yeah. It feels like you're, you're getting out of the sewer. Or, yeah. You know, completely. And that's, completely. Yeah. And I, I think that like, that's the it thing really is like, it, like the guy who directed this, um, had a real sense of drama, uh, that, uh, was sort of out of place in the eighties, uh, for a movie like this. Like you'd see this kind of like weight in, out of Africa, or you'd see this kind of way. Uh, oh, it's a great movie. It's great, Sydney Pollack. Um, but like you'd see this kind of like um, sense of grandeur in many of the Best Picture nominees for uh, those years, but you wouldn't see it for an actioner like this. Like this is a B actioner, and he's treating it like it's a real spiritual statement by the end of the movie. 
And most, I would say like 70% of the movie is backing him, you know, like it occasionally stumbles a little bit. Sometimes the acting just gets a little out of hand, but the guy has such a great sense of the emotional and mythic build of what's happening and, and voice realization of his, of what's happening inside him, essentially that the movie like hits that out of the park right at the end, right when it needs to. And all the other flaws are just forgiven. doesn't make any difference. You know, and I think that, uh, like I was trying to describe this earlier, I was like, it's like all three of these actors, uh, De Mornay and, and the other guys, like all these, all these performances are good performances for character actors that are second, like that are support characters in another film. But instead, they're all main characters, and it's like so <laughs> <Right>. big. <laughs> right. It's insane. And then the character actors are even more. Are, are, yeah, exactly. So like exactly. Like it's good. Yeah, to have like a, the people in the, the people in the in the switching station yeah. or whatever that thing yeah. is. They're like oh no, over the top. Like the whole like the 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 the, uh, the reveal scene or whatever of the switching station. Mm -hmm. Where the guy's looking at porn, oh, yeah. God. like with the girl, like while the girl is in the, in yeah. the background yeah. oh, man. and she is just like oblivious sex character is like, cause she's the first woman, woman we see in the entire film right. is that person. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's <laughs> so 80. It's, it's got a lot of these problems yeah. and there's nothing to do but ride them out. There's like ultimately all that stuff. No, 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 no. And, and again, like I said, it's usually it's, the secretary, it like that role is, is the director's girlfriend. Yeah. 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 And like when the dude yeah, turns kind around, of like, uh, go ahead. Like, uh, like Spielberg's, uh, wife in, uh, in, uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah Indiana Jones. Oh, the candlelight is going out. And you're like, oh my god, why? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got Take a. Cash off. I got a message by the way from my friend Graham. He's messaging me about some unreal stuff, and I said, uh, and I said I can't talk right now because I'm podcasting. And then he replies back with this message. Speaking of bad jokes, are you ready? Mm -hmm. He goes, dolphins communicate via podcasting. <laughs> Good on you, my friend. It may be recorded for training porpoises. <laughs> oh, God. Wah, wah, wah. That's some good business. Must love there this. Must love this. Oh, boy, oh, boy. But yeah, what did no, you I say about like, the Unreal? That it's smoking hot or? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that right now. Yeah. No, we'll talk about it some other yeah, time. This subject. Martini Giant is not about talking about Unreal. <laughs> Martini Giant is about talking about film. I have a, another podcast if you want to talk about yeah, technical. that kind of right. stuff. But yeah, no, I think that, so. that there is, there's 80s flaws like that. There's um, some inexcusable sexism, especially on that, that part of that, that half of the film. But uh, De, right. De Mornay is not like that. She's really trying to no. bring a real character to life. She's a tough character. She's interesting. Um, and it's only that she just hasn't. I, I feel like if she had been in a few more um, demanding films that demanded more of her, she would have been prepared to go uh, into the room with John Voight at the top of his lungs. But she doesn't know how to, how to modulate his performance. She's only trying to meet it. And because of right. that, it just it starts to fly off the rails. Like the the best way yep. to deal with an actor who's at that level is to like 
is not to add to it. <laughs> like, like, right. like be the thing that, that brings, that connects him to the earth. Um, and right. she doesn't, she sort of does that. And sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but she is really trying to do a good job and I, I admire what she's trying to do. She's just, she was the, the wrong casting for this. Sissy Spacek would have rocked uh, this thing, dude. I don't, yeah, Sissy Spacek would have been really good, actually. You know, like, or it, at, at best, if you wanted, like, you know, the, uh, to bring in, like, you know, the, um, you know, at least the Deborah Winger crowd, like, okay, yeah. Deborah Winger, you know, uh, okay, but, uh, but really you need something, someone who has actual, you know, a grid under her fingernails, like Spacek, and has, like, a, a sense of history in her performance. Um, right. And then that DeMornay doesn't really have, it, at that time, did not have access to, I think. Right. So, okay, so, uh, basic thing is, you know, they go through the whole situation, they have multiple scary moments uh, that they just pass. Uh, helicopter ends up chasing them, uh, down the line uh to to uh by the way that uh, helicopter sequence was shot like an episode of heart to heart it was oh totally was dude. where does that come from pull left <laughs> it's like it's like in that moment like there's suddenly a little bit too much sun in the sky the music is all 80s and they're they're flying in the Magnum PI helicopter, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> they're gonna blow it. It's not gonna work, but they pull it off. They pull it off. Once they once they throw the guy uh, through the windshield and then under the train, it's back in business. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That yeah. then the movie the movie gets so, back on track, uh, so to speak. So basically. Uh, uh, Situation happens. Uh, the, the 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 helicopter with the warden is are cha is chasing the train, trying to kill the guys. Um, there's several situations that end up badly. The warden, what's happened? Hold on. How did the warden get? And the warden ends up on the train. Yeah, the warden yeah. insists on like on boarding the train after the first guy the first tries guy to dies. board dies. Then the warden right. takes things into his own hands, and he's going to. Which is a very like Papard moment, or yeah. what's his name? Who I worked with, uh, the from Rambo, right? Dick uh, Richard Krenna. Oh yeah, it's like Dick Krenna. Command controls, kind of Krenna-esque <laughs> approach. Yeah, exactly. Right. A good supply. And of the body train bags. is still out of control at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, train is still out of control at this point, and there's like we said, there's four but locomotives. Quickly, going. guys. I'm sorry, Christy, interrupt, but. I have a separate no. podcast when I talk about trains. So if we cannot talk about that <laughs> trains, that would be great. <laughs> was your suggestion? You like that douchebaggery? That was really my good. Boycast. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I have a podcast about trains uh, called the Lionel Hour. So I can't really talk about trains. So if we could just kind of skirt around this, um, you know I what? That, uh, I subscribed <laughs> to that. I thought it was the Lionel Richie podcast, though. That I was disappointed <laughs> to find out. Uh, if you, if this is your attempt at making me feel feel bad no. for saying no i don't want to talk about this i just had a little i've been drinking i'm gonna to go to refill and i can just be a douche and i'm a natural <laughs> douchebag and i'm as i get older letting that i'm letting my hair down like i was a great douchebag at 22 um so like the thing is Flashback i always i i'm almost i'm not positive but i felt like that whole thing 
in the uh, train command center and the guy designed the system, mm -hmm. right? And he can't control it. It still gets away from him. They were trying to build that up with some meaning, you know, like mm -hmm. you designed it. Why can't you, it worked this way. It wasn't just a normal medical thing, you know, like you can't save him. Why not? It's, there was something about no matter what he designed or created, something still went on its own. They were trying to imply that, which is another thing that made me think of uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I but think they didn't right, do right. it well. They didn't do it well. But they don't, they they didn't pull that one off, bro. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They, but they, they don't make you're it right. The they said it a bunch of times. You designed it. How come it's not working this way? He's like, right. yes, I designed it. It's perfect. Then why isn't you know? There was this kind of right. like okay, but it doesn't. We connect. spent three million dollars yeah, on this. Yeah, that's right. right. Like for for some reason it doesn't connect. When the really the the big, like the big unspoken meaning of the film does connect. You know, like the stuff that they don't say out loud works incredibly well, you know, and uh, when you have, uh, you know, you know, the uh, the warden gets on the train and Voight has had this character change, thanks to the introduction to De Mornay, to after he pushes um, uh, Roberts uh, to try to get on the front of the train to uh, to save them. Right. Roberts is just can't do it. He's too afraid. Right. And, uh, and Void is so abusive and so, uh, like he's just so driven to make this happen that he doesn't realize how cruel he's being. And, uh, and De Mornay is the one who makes him realize this and that he's lost his essential humanity in, in this desperate need to escape. And I think that that's when he gains that humanity back and takes an action to save them, yet still fulfill his emotional destiny when the, uh, when the hit, like the guy who's kept him entrapped for three years gets on board the train. He's like, I am staying on board the train with you and we're going to die together. That's how this is going to go. You know? Right. Cause I, I, I have like, I love the confrontation with the warden. When, oh, it's so like, great. That's the best part of the whole mm -hmm. film. It's terrific because that's, and that's when Voight's finally like at the top of his game, everything's working and he is saying, you know, essentially like I, you know, I don't fear death anymore. I have had a realization about my life and it no longer is terrifying to me. And, 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 but he already said it, right? He said it in the thing, in that speech we talking about, what are you going to do when you escape? He doesn't have a plan either. Right. No, no. Right. He doesn't have a plan either. So his thing is like, I'm going to escape. Like, I almost think that his plan is to escape and lure the warden out so that he can kill the warden. Right. Like that, that is his plan. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right. Cause that, that is his, that the warden is, is, is the, the warden warden is trying to bait him. The warden says it in, in, in right. almost a matter of fact, like he's trying to bait him to actually fuck up so that he can shoot him yeah, exactly in jail. Right. And then he gets out. And then so he I knows that human nature. Doing. And so he lures him out because he knows that this guy is going to pursue him because he knows right. evil. Right. You think right. I'm evil. Wow. Right. Is what well, his and, thought I, was. and that's the that's the beauty of it. It's right. like, you know, because the, the warden is ultimately uh, terrified of dying. And he, that's why he's trying to control everyone's life so hard. Right. And uh, John Voight is not afraid of dying. And that's why he's free. And he says almost exactly right. that as a line. You know, I am free, you know, and uh, and what he's saying and you is I'm, sense I'm, that 
when yeah. he's at the and, top of the train, and yeah. that footage is so beautiful where he's just oh, it's incredible. One of the great the movie. That's one of the great images of the past of, you know, fifty yeah. years. Really incredible, and and you really feel like because in the movie, you know, when the movie closes. It just shows him riding the train like he's left That's the right. other, the De Mornay and Roberts behind. It decouples the, the, you know, the other end. Oh, he stuck with me even from the 80s. Yeah. And he's literally riding on top of the train, arms spread wide in this you know, blizzard. And it's, it's, uh, it's such a brilliant, beautiful uh, art, work of art just as a frame um, mm-hmm. that it feels like yeah. it, it has the power of like, uh, you know, a, a great old painting. You know, it just, it's really, really, really and, there. And uh, as far as production value is concerned, mm-hmm. it is a brilliant because that is the proper way to end a film mm-hmm. without ever showing the natural conclusion, which you've already filled up in your mind. It's going to be a massive explosion oh, sure. of destruction that you never have to film. Right. Yeah. Like, and it's beautiful because like, and the thing is like, I love endings like this where it's just like, yeah, of course, you know, the fucking train's going to hit and explode and he's going to get killed. And that's that. But like, that's unimportant. Right. Like the movie, rem- the movie knows what's important and it's willing to sacrifice the, uh, the advertisement shot in order to stick to what it's saying. And that's the beauty of this movie. Right. It's just like it, it. If the train just exploded, Rupert then the, Pupkin, then, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert yeah. Pupkin, right? Rupert Pupkin, ladies and gentlemen. You're like what? It's, I mean, you it's, know, it's like the, the 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 movie knows what the shot is, and it's going to stick to that, and that's why it's going to stick with you forever if you see it. Now, the movie doesn't have to be perfect; it just has to follow all the way through, and it totally and the imagery does. Right. and the music back that up. It's a, it's, a, it's sometimes music and the imagery work with the tone with a message mm-hmm. and that haunting freedom that he got and he's just sitting at the top there and it's kind of the wind blowing it becomes kind of distant and foggy it's amazing oh, it's incredible uh, i think i would put that up with you know like uh cagney's top of the world bit and like all that stuff but like, here's the thing i felt the reason i one of my first connections to godzilla is because when godzilla was there in the water I felt mm-hmm. that same feeling yeah, of same like sense the of imagery. Yeah. And yeah. the freedom. And I just was like, wow, that was so much like, and I was like, wait a minute, Kurosawa wrote this. And I was like, yeah. well, they, and they start to explore like why right. they made these films and the message. Well, it's really, it's not till you really look at the endings of these two movies. They realize that the, the connection, right? Cause the ending basically of Godzilla is the guy and the girl on the boat going oh my god he sacrificed himself for the evil that he's done to save the world mm-hmm. and he's down there and he's exploded and all of that happened mm-hmm. and the two of them are like embracing on the on the on the boat as that happens and the ending of this movie is eric robert and rebecca De, rebecca 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 de mornay uh on the train embracing is like oh my god he sacrificed himself to save us and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it is exactly that. Yeah, like exactly. I, I invented all this evil and I created the warden. Like he created the warden. Yeah, exactly. He, 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 they created, he each created other, that. Right? Yeah. Like the, they, they're two right. opposed forces. And, yeah, uh, right. and I really feel like there's, there's a, there's a, this is the key connection. I think between these two movies is that, uh, you said that Kurosawa wrote the script in the, what the fifties, the sixties. The 60s, yeah. 60s. 60s. 
Yeah, like this is a. I bet you it was different, and it probably way closer. I'm, my, I'm, I'm really curious to see what that oh, script yeah. was. But, but you can the feel 60s, the Kurosawa of this thing. Like this feels like a Kurosawa right. story for sure. You know, they like the details are very eighties uh, action movie. But I think that Not like, the, the soundtrack, the spine of everything else. Is, yeah. The, and what I was going to say is like there's a uh, the, if you play the music for Godzilla, which is brilliant. And the music, the great music from Runaway Train, like, they almost could be part of the same movie. Like, there's a, there's a really rich, resonant, and mythic flavor to these soundtracks that lift this, lift this stuff up hugely. Uh, but both uh, stories have a, uh, are dealing with um, post-war uh, terror and post-war feelings. Um, you know, because, like, Kurosawa is still... Like, uh, he's still dealing with, like, I mean, the, the setup for for Runaway Train is, like, many of his, um, it's very it's a very hyperbolic version, but it's a, it has a lot of the same elements of his movies from the 50s. And, uh, and the kinds of character relationships are the same. And uh, I think that this is, this guy uh, uh, processing his feelings from, uh, from the war, and... Uh, and his feelings about uh, the technology that was unleashed, right, uh, in the in the form of like this train, like the force of this giant mechanical object headed towards a chemical plant, you know, like there's something out of control in our lives that we can barely. And we don't have control over it. Yeah, like we with it, it, like John Voigt doesn't learn to get control of the train; he learns to ride the train. You know, like he's coming to an end. It's going to happen, but he is choosing to be a part of it now and to work with it rather than to um, destroy himself trying to stop it because it is unstoppable. And so I think that these these like the weight of history that is wrapped up in these stories is enormous, even though it was made 20 years after he wrote the story. It's crazy. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? Really, really brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work. That being said, it's I would like that, to see a remake it. of this. Yeah, I think it was a brilliant pairing, Eric. Hey, honestly I'll take speaking, that note. thank you. Yeah, you should, um, and you should. You deserve, you deserve credit for thinking of brilliant things like you know when you bought all those masks. Uh, it's true. Back yes. in Japan. Hey, man. Mm -hmm. Good, mm -hmm. good thinking. <laughs> because sometimes you know, I mean, it's funny you say that. It's like you know, sometimes the, the nostalgic, crazy person has you know is right. Yeah, and you're right. A, a broken clock is right twice a day, but uh, uh, I think this. Uh, I think he's been right no, a few I'm times. Just today. kidding. But you, I don't it think was a I'm really a nostalgic like, person. But well, I am. You are not a nostalgic person. You, you're not actually. I think you're very much a, a you. You you love things from the past, but I don't think you're nostalgic. Well, I love history you're and not, I love lessons from the past, and I think a lot of people right. don't remember lessons well. Yeah, I agree. Because you you look to the future too much to be nostalgic. I do. I actually see you, and I see you looking to the future and going, "I'm excited about the future." I look to the past as part of my lesson for the future, but you're not nostalgic. Yeah, you know what? I I but I do have a, a real, like a lot of these both these movies. I have no faith in humanity. I feel like in the end they just screw things up. And they make oh, these yeah. fatal flaws. Really... Oh, yeah. Well, we're making terrible... We continue to make terrible mistakes. 
Yeah. Are you riding the trend in the end of the movie, Eric? You know, I, I related to some of those characters. I really did. You know, um, you know, I, I absolutely felt at certain points in my life, uh, like John Voight, you know, in a way right. that, you know, I, where you just, you just want to have freedom and, or just, um, and I understood it. I didn't, I wasn't an ex-con, but I did, you get frustrated. I'm the guy in the train station where everyone's yelling at, but you designed this fucking thing. It should work. <laughs> no, it costs actually, $7 million. Look, I, feel, I know, I know, I know it should work. It doesn't, just doesn't you work. Were the, That's you me. Were the That's secretary. me. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Thrawn's a secretary. Yeah, I hope so. Sexy beast. She's a pig. <laughs> you guys are missing out on the on the on the plum roll of that whole movie. <laughs> no, it was I definitely. Want to be it covers a lot of different territory, but it definitely uh, mistakes life and and um, coming to terms with yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, also that obsessive quality where he has to win has to win is also uh is really was uh, that's what i didn't like he was baiting the warden you know right and it was that battle so he was no different you know if you compare the two movies could you not say eric roberts role was just like the girl in godzilla yeah essentially i think that's fair yeah and rebecca I mean, de mornay like, was the scientist or the the fisherman the fisherman that, the fisherman that she was engaged or fell in yeah. love with. Cause I, I, yeah, I think because that, uh, Roberts was not a stoic guy. There was such a, he was like, Oh, he was a pretty boy. Yeah. But he was yeah. also like, you did that job. And it's like, you were a hero. And he's like, stop looking for heroes and be yourself. Right. Right. No, like Robert Roberts is the guy that wants to, uh, like, you know, he thinks that being a hero is being a badass. And, uh, when push comes to the shove, he's not either. You know, he's like he's he's weak, and he has to uh, he has to learn hard truths about himself. Whereas, uh, 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 what's his name, Void, is uh, you know, like he doesn't he's he never stops to think about anything. He's just driving forward, and it's only when he finally stops to think about it that he realizes what he wants. You know, like he's not doing this to be a hero. Like he's not, he's not a heroic person. Uh, he's seen as a hero simply because he takes action, but he's like, he doesn't know how to do anything. Else. I think Chris is, I think you're right, Dan. I actually think Chris was right that he did it all to bait him. This whole to thing lure was him to, yeah. to yeah. lure him in. Oh, to bait the lure. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't Ultimately, about escaping. Yeah. Well, he knows, like, think about it. He, he hates the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he hates the guy so much. It was the plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was a plan from the very beginning because he, like, he says, "Is like, what are you going to do when you get out of jail?" He got out of jail just to get the warden out of, uh, out into to like, get him out of the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, because like the warden is like the jail is not the jail. The warden is the jail for him, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, he's totally fine spending three years in a room. That doesn't that doesn't bother him. It's the ju- but the existence of this guy uh, bothers yeah. him. Like the 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 will that wants to put him uh, in a box is the thing that is his ultimate enemy. Yeah. So Voight was a boxer before, was it? Was he not? Don't know. Yeah, maybe. 
But yeah, it was that's interesting. A, yeah. No, I think I think it's uh, I, I think it's really good. I saw another movie on Criterion over the weekend, which was Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, Money. On Criterion. What's the name? Money. It's just the money symbol. I did not see that. I don't even I don't even know about this movie. Yeah, it's a heist film from the 70s, 71. My God. How do I and, not know uh, this movie? It's kind of interesting. I didn't love it, but it has all the cool things of early 70s that I love, particularly with heist films, money, mm -hmm. and banks, and then cars with guys with sunglasses in them. Um, yeah, but, uh, but there was the opening title sequence was, God, I swear, there was a movie... I think it was a Fincher movie when I first moved out here where everything was like in 3D. Remember the titles? And it was like this, the buildings. Panic Room. Panic Room. Yep. Oh, yeah. The, the architectural think, credits opening. I try to remember. I think I worked with the guy. It was a prologue. Um, anyway, the point is, no. Anyway, the point is that opening title sequence is a helicopter carrying a metal money sign through uh, the city of Hamburg. No kidding. How? I can't and, believe And I was watching that as in my next room here in the studio, like, man, that's where they got Panic Room from. Because if you just freeze the frame, <laughs> that's what it is. Oh, man. Interesting. No joke. Let's see. And Hang on. So the, speaking of title sequences, I did have a note, like, the title sequence to... Uh, runaway train was Great. really interestingly graphically but the font choice did not match the background oh, now by the way that was the same system because when i first moved out here i worked at a title company mm -hmm. in the same yeah. office was with pablo ferro and and i designed yeah, yeah, titles yeah. and i basically yeah. um a title house that's right but the guys, the optical guys downstairs were geniuses. And that was a, the same technique that they did with Predator, that Joel did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you take, totally you process just, Joel the, yeah, you process the red and then yeah. you like refilm that. But that's what it was. It was only those scratches at the end. They pulled the negative to create yeah. that effect. And they create that. Da, 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 and then it's and it was out. great. I was like, I mean, look at it. And you look at it from a day. It's like, that's something that looks like it was designed in after effect. That's right. Yeah, it, wasn't. Like, it was, but it was not, optical. it was all optical. And those guys were and downstairs and I used to go downstairs and they showed me how to work the optical like, machines. Oh, it was incredible it's stuff. Fucking great. But the, but what was disturbing to me, especially now is because like, it looks like something contemporary, like done with after effects and cool stuff. But then they had this like Trajan font in there That's for right. the titles. I was like, that doesn't fucking fit. It's like an it needs yeah. like a like a much more like hard edge sans serif font. And it had this very like yeah, that like was the theater the designer in him. <laughs> yeah, that was the theater designer. And it was just it was, but it was very bold choices and very creative title sequence for for uh, for for Runway Train. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's cool when you look at a film like that and you look at it again after you hadn't seen it in 35 years or whatever the hell it's been and you watch it and go like, I wonder who did the titles. I got to look that up. It was like pack title or title could have been the place that I worked at. There was a guy that was really good at that stuff. Um, and he had all the plates from uh, uh, Ellen Shaw. 
Oh, yeah. Me- oh, remember I told you it was that guy yeah. that found all the plates in the dump in the early 70s? Right. Yeah, and so 20th bad, Century man. Fox threw it all away. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Can't stand it. Isn't Can't that... believe that they would do it. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the title sequence right now. Yeah, it's just great. Like, no, yeah, it's that... 1985, dude. 85, yeah. What? Runaway Train. Oh, when this movie came yeah. out. Yeah, I knew. I, I, we kept saying 88. But I was no, like, that's that my bad. Too, that's my bad. That seems too early. Too late. Or too late. Yeah. It, it was $9 million to make. $9 million to make that movie? Yeah. yeah. I bet you could do it from $9 Dennis million. Dennis France today. was in it. Dennis France was in that? Yeah. Right. Good movie, huh? And you, uh, you could make that movie today for for maybe maybe fifteen million. Yeah, I think so. Sure. You know what? Like uh, I would say, and, that, and and it would never it would never make theaters. The the uh, uh, one thing I wanted to point out that was, was there were some really great effects in this movie uh, that were very subtle, mm-hmm. and uh, mm. like there was some uh, uh, like they did. A, I mean, you can if you're if you're looking for it, you see it. But like they're doing a lot of like. Uh, additional uh, snow effects and uh, layering in of stuff that makes everything seem faster and more intense. Really, really nicely cut in. And some of it was wonky. Yeah, some of the some of the, the effects are limited, but they're using some of, some of it was like optically yeah, wonky. Totally. I mean, like you can you can see them, and it doesn't look real, but it's a really nice addition. Like they like they had the right idea. They just didn't have the power effects wise to pull it off completely, uh, but it right. still it still drives the well, movie. Couldn't color time it right. Like, sure, so it has a little bit of green. Yeah, you know, has a little bit of a fringe to it. Everything yeah. has green, right? Yeah. Uh, but that, but I like that they did that. I also like that there's an enor- there's. A, it seems to me, uh, once I started looking for it, that there's a lot of really great rear screen projection in this movie um, that I never noticed That's... until I really looked for it. And I think that uh, great rear screen is such a pleasure to see, to see in action because it allows you to do so much more uh when you're shooting because you're not i think that directors yeah. uh like when they're shooting for like you know even the best directors when they're shooting green screen because there's nothing there to shoot they either overshoot it or undershoot it but if you can really see what's right. there then you know what you're shooting and you pick it up and make it a part of what you're doing by the way you know who is credited? By the way, you know, you know the whole thing about Mandalorian? Sorry, just real quick. Mandalorian, and they're all talking about these great LED walls and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what that's called? Rear screen. Yeah, it's rear screen projection. projection. It's a very complex rear screen projection. Yeah. Uh, it's the same. Yeah, same technology. Thing. I mean, it's like a high, much higher version of that technology, but it is the same. I think it's, I think it's a spectacular way to work. Same idea. Yeah, same idea. Absolutely. And like, I'm, I'm, uh, cause I worked on Mandalorian and I was, uh, I actually worked on processing a lot of those sequences and, uh, and it's really wild to see it work. You know, I'm just like, that is a greater use of, uh, of CG than most CG. Because you really make the like it really feels integrated, and you stop thinking about it as an effect when you're when you're filming it. Like you're paying attention to the, sh- the scene you're shooting, as opposed to worrying about like tracking markers and all this other stuff. And right. uh, and even though like I can tell you, you know, like it's you know it's it's a little bit of a process to make it look so seamless, but it is a really really good effect overall. And I'm I'm happy to see that kind of stuff return. I think it's it's definitely worth investing in. It's really it was really exciting. And to see it on Runaway Train, where it's just like, you know, I just like one shot caught me. I was like, wait, is that a rear, rear projection? 
And then I went back and I was like, oh, this shit has a rear projection in this thing. I just didn't even see it. It was just going by there. Yeah, using, it was good. Yeah, right? So, so nicely done. Well, well, the other thing that was really good that makes that rear screen projection work so well is because the, the windows were so dirty on the track. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely true. Yeah. You know, and that really helps yeah. the rear screen because it just basically puts stuff. So you get this parallax. Yeah. You get parallax that works for you. Yeah, exactly. In that situation. Plus, like so the environment is very gray outside, uh, which works with the the diminished luminance of rear screen. Yeah, you know? it's great. And so, so like, uh, really good. Yeah, I was I was really really impressed with that. And they're like they're like they're uh, they're editing around it how they built the sequences and all that stuff. I was like, this thing is like if if they had just cut if they had trimmed down some of the rough edges of this movie, it would be as famous as like, you know, any of the other great '80s movies. Like I think it's a little forgotten. It's too bad, but it's like it's at least as good as like the Terminator. Like it's a really great film. It is the uh, it is uh, boxing coach and coordinator, the instructor. Mm -hmm. The yes was uh, Danny Trejo. There he is, man, the Trey. And the people that good, designed good donuts, the, good tacos. Uh, the people that designed the titles also did the Elephant Man, American Werewolf in London. Angel Heart. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, right. That makes sense. And, uh, did they also work on Wolfen? Uh, Is that on Falcon the list? Falcon and the Snowman. Falcon and the Snowman. God bless. Falcon and the Snowman. I actually wonder. I haven't seen Falcon and the Snowman so long. I really Mom, want to watch it. Dad, again. I work for the CIA. <laughs> so good. Mom, Dad, I'm working for the CIA. Okay, it's really important stuff. That's a that's a good pen, my friend. <laughs> Dude, what have you a, got yourself into? That's the <laughs> golden the CIA age in Mexico. I can't talk anything about it. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. I love that film. Dude, that that and Bad Boys and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Perfect. <laughs> I, lo I love me some Sean Penn. <laughs> that, that dude may be a little unstable, but he is quite a uh, you think character. he's unstable now? I don't think now. There was a time. I think there was a time. I don't think he was unstable. I think he was just like, get out of my fucking face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But I think he's a tremendous actor. And I loved oh him like, his entire career. He's absolutely fantastic. The other thing is that there's a lot of people that like, you know, get, get put in this position where they're like, like, they're completely crazy. And it's like, well, aren't we all a little I, bit crazy? Man, I would deck right? a photographer too. And in, in, a, in a certain situation, I'm going to, you're going to, find me like in some crazy rant and I'm going to come off as a crazy guy. And everyone's going to say that Chris Nichols, he's completely crazy. But if you know me, you're like, well, he just had a bad day. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. You know? Everyone's got a bad day. And yeah, and Chris, Chris does have his crazy parts to him. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but you know, no, no more or less than, than Eric Sheely. So. Mm, that's true. I don't. That's my problem. <laughs> uh, Punch a paparazzi. It'll change so, your life. Yeah. There was a couple things I wanted to bring up to, to uh, uh, before we, we we wrap this up completely. Um, so this was this was a really interesting, like I said, it was a really interesting combination. Really good stuff going on. Uh, there was a some of both of these films. Every time I look at things now, obviously relate a uh, relate back to what we're dealing with right now mm -hmm. uh in our lives and our own little 
crazy isolation and uh, decisions and catastrophizing things. <laughs> so it was hard a little bit to uh, to watch this because one of it was like, there's an evil monster out there and stay home. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the other one was someone is making some really bad choices and you need to get away. Like, like, and, and, and so, or we are inevitably um, headed towards a giant explosion. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm just like, is it, is it hard for you guys to separate what you're watching and not related to some of the things you're doing right now that's going on? Derek, you want to keep going? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know what? Not for me, no, because uh, I have been in a constant state of stress for a year and a half now that I'm just used to it now. That it's like, this is like a less, a moral lesson for me. Like, oh, that's great. Somebody else has problems. Uh, so <laughs> it's... World. You know, I basically started something from scratch, and I still don't know if it will work or not. But I still have to do work on it every day. And I want to get back to work, but I don't really have a career to go back to. So I'm, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough. So I, I was not, it's different. You, you were in an office and, you know, thriving and running, a, um, you know, massage parlor in Culver City. You're doing all those things. That uh, yeah. it's different, you know. You plucked into this. I've just been by myself for the most part for a year and a half. You know, Trent. Right. Well, not all the time. You know what I mean? I think Dan. So, I mean, there's not much of a change for you physically. Like this is closer to your, to your normal lifestyle than it is for a second. Yeah, and my life every day is just hitting the keyboard, working, and then dealing with my partner, and then other things, and trying to make this move forward. Right. And then get excited so, and then get depressed, okay. get excited okay. and get depressed. All right. All right. All right. And then like, so, so maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not phrasing that the right way because obviously my, honestly speaking, I am the kind of person and maybe it's because I constantly fight nostalgia where I'm not going to go and say, wasn't it better before we had COVID-19, right? Because I think I, I am looking at the opportunities that are happening beyond this situation at some point mm -hmm. things are going to move and i'm going to move forward and i want to i'm, I'm excited about the the new future that's going to arise from from the ashes that are that are this situation but like i feel that we uh uh there there is something what but i do but i do think about it right so to you nothing's changed in your life yeah. Uh, I'm, I but guess I, I reiterate, I, it's just, my life has been different the past year. And then I'm right. also dealing with a lot of, you know, not to go into detail about it, but like a lot of family stuff. So I've got right. a lot right. of, um, a couple family members who aren't doing well, both young and old. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of balancing that. And then like, I just was on the phone with somebody I've known for 25, 30 years. And then on Monday, somebody called me and said, like, oh yeah, she died. I was like, wow, oh, okay, man. that's amazing. Like, oh, oh shit, she just went in on Mother's Day, wasn't feeling well, just had a heart attack and died. And I was like, oh my God, I just talked to her for like 45 minutes on Thursday. I was going to mm -hmm. call her this week. And it's strange. So for me, it's like, I don't know, I, it's uh, COVID, uh, 
I what I worry about is the economy, and I get so overwhelmed and and scared about it. And then I'm like, you can't do anything about it. You know, you can't do. You just have to hit mm. every day and just go straight ahead. Yep. That's yep. it. I mean, That's you true. know, I'm frustrated with work. You know, and I'm closer now at this week. Uh, you know, uh, since we've got. Uh, you know, I told you, you know, Chris, I told you, like, you know, Steve the Pistol Jones wants to do it. And uh, we're talking to Jack Black. So there's, uh, you know, there's things moving. That's it's good. just, yeah, you know, it could all fall apart, too. And then I can't go out of my house. I got to wear a mask. And uh, but, man, it's like there's a lot going on. But you just work, create, draw and um Call your attorney, like I did today. <laughs> That's nice what I said. Conversation with attorney. Say. Work with uh, draw. Call every your time you call your attorney, though, it's like you know five hundred bucks. Six forty-five. No, yeah, yeah. Six forty-five. I, I needed to do it today, man. I'm telling you, uh, I, I actually, Dan, I might ask you about something mm-hmm. off the air down the road. Okay. Uh, just about like, like where would one start for researching contracts? It's just stuff like that. Sure. I don't know if I have any um, good answers, but I'll, I'll say what I can say. But yeah, Chris, I know what you're saying. You're also, you're tied up in there and you're watching these movies with heavy themes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, I've been a little just, avoidant like, of, uh, of really heavy stuff. Like, I mean, like I'll still, I still will watch stuff that's tough, but, like, if I know it's going to be tough, like, I might put it off for a couple of days. Because you just like, I don't So, like, Karen, Karen wanted to watch, uh, uh, like, for, for Mother's Day. She wanted to watch horror films because Karen loves horror films. And so, you know, it's hard. Like, you, I, you know, you can't take your, your your wife and mother of your children out for Mother's Day uh, brunch these days. No. And there's limited things you can do. In fact, I said, I'm, I offered like, I will go all, I'll do all the grocery shopping that we're going to do. And she goes, no, I want to do it myself. Like, so I couldn't really do anything. It's like, well, can like, Let's just watch horror films when I get home. Nice. So that's what that was her Mother's Day wish was to just watch horror films, and we ended up watching uh, a couple things, uh, but one of them was um, Shaun of the Dead. Look at home, huh? Right, right, and then you're like, and then and she watched that, and she's like, that was really funny because is that going to like you know trigger, you know, the, because Shaun of the Dead is is. It's about isolation and right. stuck in your house, and there's danger outside, right? right? And it's a little weird to think about it cuts that. Cuts close to the bone, <laughs> but you 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 make fun of it, right? Right. But to them, it was over in like two days. Right. We're going, We're going till fucking July on this bad boy. Yeah, man. It's time to make the uh, yeah, like you made the made the zombie movie where you have to be inside for six months. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> that's a ride. Constantly looking at the window, and you still see the same slow zombies. They did. They they did open the beaches uh, to limited activity, and I have so many uh, fishing flies that I have sat there and tied out of uh, stress and boredom uh, that I need to go fishing. uh, (laughs) That's understandable. That's understandable. Yeah, and we'll see how that works. But if it doesn't work, I'll just not be there. So. You can always well, call me Chris or Dan. You just want to say hello. I'm around. 
<laughs> Same. Well, that's another thing that's actually been really nice. It's like, you know what? People have been very available. I can just pick up the fucking phone and call people. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Before it was harder. Like, I, no, I'm not available. You know, or whatever. Well, we've done uh, uh, like a game net a couple of times. I've actually run a D and D game online. You know, and it's uh, it's actually been easier to schedule all this stuff. <laughs> How what what do you use to do your D and D game? I use Roll20.net, um, which is pretty handy. Does it work? Yeah, it works great. Like I think that if I were to be critical of, it, I would say like they probably should get uh, some very serious designers to go in there and do a major revamp of the entire site because it's still like it's still a little bit clunky in a, a small scale way. Um, right. But uh, it is they've they've made it remarkably functional uh, for a sudden jump in popularity and uh you know you it carries video and you can you know put up all your dnd maps and follow the character stuff and all that other jazz and it's yeah actually plays really pretty great for the complexity that offers because my uh my son plays D mm -hmm. with a group of other kids uh that are similar age and one of the other dads of one of the other kids is the uh dm and he's been trying to get a DM game going. Nice. And they try to use Roll20.net. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're like, okay, this is going to work. Uh, but then one of the kids who, shall we say, is doesn't necessarily have the most discipline of other kids mm -hmm. uh, decided to say, what happens if I roll one million D twenty? Oh, and you and typed it in he, and tried to make it roll that. You typed it in and it crashed right. the whole fucking game. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> like right. Yeah. So, uh, and then Brady was like, "Why the?" F he didn't say, "What the fuck are you doing?" But he, whatever a ten year old would say, that would be appropriate <laughs> Make come close like, to that what the heck are you doing yeah like uh, i think yeah, yeah that's the kind of thing that they sh should probably fix on that site <laughs> that that's even possible right <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> let's let's be reasonable but otherwise you find that site works uh yeah. there's another um uh someone else that i uh uh that that's a listener jasper actually listens to this uh, he's a D, &D player i'm actually going to ask him um about what he thinks is a good uh, online dnd uh system to use because i think so there i think there are forms of discord that allow you to do D. &D I believe that's true okay. i think there's a there's a couple of variants of roll 20 that are okay uh roll 20 is the most sort of straightforward one and it's really pretty it's integrated with dnd &D particularly uh dnd &D and call of cthulhu uh -huh. it handles really well i also recommend for 10 bucks you can get on steam tabletop simulator um, which is just basically a physics engine for chips and cards and little figurines. And everyone can move this stuff around on a table, and it actually uh, works pretty smoothly. So if you're trying to keep track of nice. fights or if you want to do card games or whatever, you can also, like, there's uh, plugins of, uh, if you want to play, like, Gloomhaven or stuff like that, like, there's, you can buy a version of Gloomhaven for it that is basically, here's all the cards and the table, you do what you want with it. And you can play it again that way. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty hip. That's cool. Yeah, I like that stuff. I got to play. I got to get back into some D and D. I think. I think that's going to help me if I just got a D and D going. I love D and D. Anytime you want to do D and D, I'll D and D. 
Did you guys ever see the parody of uh, like a G6 called Roll a D6? No, <laughs> I never have. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you know the song. Yeah, right? Roll a D6. I've never. Yeah, I've never it's basically a parody of that. It's called Roll a D6, and it's fucking really, really funny. And uh, yeah, it's good. Oh, it's awesome. It's good. Dude. I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, I think that it's definitely the interesting changes that have happened out of uh, uh, this situation are all to do with how people communicate online. And it's improved it, generally improved it. Because, yeah. you know, like you we figured it out. It's like things are being figured out pretty quickly. And I actually like video conferencing with people now, which I never did before. Um, and for I am turning on my camera way more than I used yeah, to. Absolutely, I'm like, Fuck it. I'm on a t-shirt. Absolutely, everyone's in a t-shirt. Yeah. and like I'm, uh, uh, and I also like working from. I'm, I'm working right. You know, um, I'm, I'm gigging right now, and uh, you know, it saves me five hours in travel a day, and uh, gives me good focus and sort of isolation away from uh, folks. I'm not just right. like you know, people aren't interrupting my work to talk about other work that I have to do. Like I just get to work. And, uh, and right. it's much, much better. Um, so it's been, all that stuff has actually been changes that I hope stick around. You know, you know what's interesting though? So I, I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, a phone, right, mm -hmm. has an amazing camera on the back of it. Yeah. You can take photos on the back of your phone that are borderline SLR camera, mm -hmm. not more in cases, right? And it's a teeny little lens and it's incredible what the technology it does. Right. And then you take your laptop where you pay like 2000 3000 $4,000 sometimes for top level <laughs> laptop. And the camera is the shittiest thing possible. <laughs> like it's the most, right. it's like a, it's like a, 25 cent camera that's that's stuck on to this you know three thousand dollar laptop it looks like shit and a lot of people no one cared about it right because no one actually like i don't want a camera on my computer etc cetera, etc cetera. but suddenly cameras on computers have actually become important and i'm wondering two years down the line when you know when when uh, when people are starting to design laptops again are are the cameras on laptops going to become important again. Right, um, exactly. Here's my, and here's my thing. Like, 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 like nice HD or 4K cameras on laptops that are like going to be your webcam. So you look good in your Zoom calls because I bet you Zoom calls or whatever it is are going to become huge. Oh, yeah, dude. Like for, for, way beyond this. Yeah, I agree. I think that like you're going to see a giant jump in video quality and you're going to see a giant jump yep. in just like the way this gets ordered. Because right now this is at the minimum level of design. Like it's still operating in, front, in the sort of 1995 uh, chat configuration <laughs> that it's been built in for years. I think uh, within the next uh, year and a half, you're going to see suddenly a whole new way to do this. And uh, What's I, interesting I get a kick out of it. about that is that I just saw Dave 2D review today of the new Dell. 17 inch, which is actually 15 and a half, 16 yeah. inch. Did you see that review? No, I haven't seen it. I didn't see the review. But the, but what, what, with the, what, so the, the new Dell, 
uh, a 15. It's a 17 inch, but it's the size of just a little bit bigger than a 15 inch because the race now is to get like the bevels so tiny. It's well, the, yeah, yeah, but that's been, yeah, but the that's point is to, to fit the camera in because they're making it so unibody pieces of aluminum with with thin bevels to get the camera system camera in it. is yeah. so they're probably designing now for the next two years is to go on a bevel war where in reality is they're going to try Absolutely. and you're going, you're going edge to you want something what's called edge to edge screens right and so for example for the dell specifically the xps the xps 13 for a long time they wanted it to look so beautiful where the screen goes all the way up to the top and which means you can't have a camera at the top so where do they put they put the camera Hello. at the bottom yeah, they switched and then now. basically because it was at the bottom it was like an up the nose cam every fucking time right it was terrible well, they switched that so, the thing is yeah they, the, the but the thing is the competition between asus and dell and and razor is to, you know to get that bevel so thin it's a full screen the problem and they probably yeah so the edge the edge war is on and now all of a sudden they're like, oh no, we gotta. <laughs> so there are a lot of designers who are just staying up late trying to like take that bevel back, put the camera in. That's the <laughs> funny thing. It's like everyone's future plans were just ruined. I think they should put out a laptop where the uh, it has like the frustrum of a actual camera on the uh, on the uh, on the faceplate. <laughs> so it looks yeah. like you're staring into an Araflex the entire time. <laughs> yes. That's my dream. Well, I enjoyed this, guys, and um, I did all some new artwork, and the Woody Allen stuff's cooking along, and then um, I'll send you things to pose for, and the Wes Anderson stuff kind of went through. I thought there was a good one of you, Dan. Oh, there's some funny stuff, too. Like, there's yeah, some, yeah, there's some good ones. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. I absolutely um, loved it. So, and then uh, I'll keep moving, and then, right uh, but that was fun. I had fun, That was guys. very good. And is there anything I you want to recommend that you've discovered online or uh, books or anything that uh, before we go? Me? Yep. Uh, well, I'm reading uh, something related for work, uh, a biography of the, one of the guys in the band, and it's interesting nice. uh, because he just doesn't hold back, and it's cool. But uh, and he's one of the guys that called me, and so. Um, but other than that, I watched a lot of '70s movies and. Uh, I just put my new website up just before you guys talked because I, I taught myself Webflow so I can just get a little bit more kind of, um, I don't know if you guys know Webflow. It's really smoking hot web browser. I don't know anything about that. It's a web tool set so you can make your own websites. It's really super sexy. So That's I taught it to stuff. myself and uh, so I posted my new site, just temp up tonight, but it's fun and it's a lot easier than like, you know, Squarespace and stuff. And um, so... You know, I'm up early doing work and, you know, training. But That's another thing I've realized is I'm actually start working at 6 a.m. now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like I, I wait for for early. Yeah. I wake up, work out. I start working way earlier than I than I used to. Yeah. No, it's much better. Because I, like, I don't have to drive. And it's quiet. It's quiet. Yep. And my mind's fresh. That's right. Yep. No, That's right. So when you get when I, when I get out of my Neverland oxygen pod, I <laughs> basically just grab a coffee and just get to work. 
No. Did you get that in a bidding right. war? Did you have to? I didn't. Uh, I was old friends with uh, oh, MJ, yeah. and that's we used nice. to, like, oh god, we had. So I thought he was going to leave that to Bubbles, but that's well, good. I guess Bubbles was a little upset, to be honest with you. And I said, "Hey, <laughs> baby doll, you know MJ gave it to me." So, first come, but first it serve. still has the Bubbles uh, little initials on the side, Monica. Oh, that's very sweet. It's so great, yeah. <laughs> little fingerprints. Fond memories of campouts and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, well, but uh, Eric, I'm going to look up uh, dollars, uh, the uh, dollar sign movie with uh, Beatty and Goldie Hawn. I'm I'm ashamed that I have not seen this or even heard of it. It, it doesn't ridiculous. totally make sense, but it's Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn in a Copenhagen I'm in, in oh, the dude. 70s, and the music was by Little Richard. God rest nice. his soul. Excellent. And um, it is uh, Quincy Jones did the music. And uh, it's you said, you said the riddle, Little Richard Little did the Richard. theme song. The theme song. And Quincy Jones did the whole conducted. movie. Yeah, and right. uh, but it's it's you know it's what it is. But there's some. I'm cool, in, man. Cool I'm, a, I'm a baby fan. It, I love I love Han. She's amazing. Yeah, and I was, and then look at the titles and think of that movie Panic Room. I'm telling you, dude. Mm -hmm. It's like That's oh yeah, from. let's just do it. That's funny. Yeah, I do. I love the titles in Panic Room. I thought they were pretty great. That, that was pretty fun. It had, it, had a, mm -hmm. it had a very uh, uh, north by northwest quality to it that I enjoyed. There was such a, I mean, that was a big deal when that came out. Everyone wanted that. Oh, yeah. God, that was great, to great. That. Bit of design. that was really fun. Really fun. Pretty good movie. Really great titles. <laughs> so, All right. guys, it's really good. You guys to, ready to do this? Yeah. yeah I and, think so. Uh, everybody be safe. Um, be safe. Watch, watch, watch movies. Have fun watching movies. Get inspired by the creative process. Absolutely. And in fact, let me, I just Enjoy want to this. give a shout out because I, I talked about it uh, earlier. I would like to give a shout out to the uh, crew uh, and uh, everyone who made the Planet of the Apes movie that I, I worked on. Uh, check it out. It's yeah. it's actually, I'm very, very proud of it. It turned out great. I just know that there's an 11-minute yeah. version that's better. Uh, but it is funny to watch this because you watch it now and especially all the Planet of the Apes films, that is the stuff that makes you go, wow, pandemics are weird. <laughs> and we were, nope. we were making a movie that was uh, a little bit ahead of its time. So I wanted to, as I, I didn't mean to talk uh, too much down about it. I'm really thankful for everybody who worked on that. And it turned out, it did turn out great. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, awesome. That was fun. Please be safe. And uh, be safe. All right. And whatever you do, you got to drink, talk, drink. <laughs>